Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. Thursday, the 6th of April 2017. What a day it goes down in history. The day that Barry Manilow opened the closet doors and went, I'm gay. And we all went, no kidding, Sherlock. No, nobody saw that one coming, did they? But that's been, but people have been trying to analyse why Barry Manilow has left it until now, because he got married to his boyfriend of some 40 years, about two years ago. And uh, then he was sort of outed on a television programme. There was an actress who went on there and she said, oh, I've just been to Barry Manilow's wedding. There was no comment from the Barry Manilow camp, you know, the Copacabana. And um, and as I say, now he leaves it. I mean, ever since he played the New York gay bathhouses, people have gone, Barry Manilow's gay. I can remember having a discussion with somebody. Well, an argument. Yes, it was a full-blown argument. I said to somebody, he's gay. And they went, no, he's not. I went, I'm telling you, he's gay. What difference does it make? People get very funny about it, don't they? And so Barry, at the age of 190, decides to open the cupboard doors, crawl out and go, I'm gay. And we go, well, strike me down with a poker and tell me my name's Susan. You'll be telling me next you haven't had cosmetic surgery. But the reason he's done it now is because he comes from another generation. When Johnny Mathis came out years and years ago, and it turned out he was living with his butler or something like that, people going, Johnny Mathis is gay. And you think, so? What difference does it make? You know, I couldn't care less where he puts on floral dresses and dances round to sort of a Doris Day song. Doesn't make any difference to me. Doesn't change anything. But they come from a generation. There is a generational thing where people worried about that if you came out, in America in particular, if you've got an international celebrity whose whose life is touring and appealing to women, and both Johnny Mathis and, uh, and Barry Manilow very much have a female base... That's their... their co- they don't care. They don't care. I've read all sorts of things from ladies who are fans of Barry Manilow saying, we couldn't care less. Listen, he brought great songs and still does and continues to tour and he's touring again this year in this country. You know, what, what he does... You know, he's been with the same bloke for 40 years. Who cares? Goodness sake, we make such a big song and dance, don't we? I'd be more... Be more interested if he came out and said, actually, I thought I was gay, but in fact, I'm heterosexual. And we all go, well, that's an interesting one. But it's a generational thing. Liberace died uh, thinking that the public never suspected that he was gay. And at his worst nightmare was walking on stage in Vegas at the Hilton and somebody shouting out, look at that faggot up there. That was his, his big his big nightmare. He didn't want people to think that. So he wrote his autobiography and substituted the word boys for women. And uh, so people are going, oh, right, yes, he has, he has girlfriends. No, no, he didn't. He was gay through and through. He was an entertainer. It doesn't matter. You know, even, even Danny LaRue, good old Danny LaRue, invented a girlfriend in Australia and the press traipsed all the way over there. They were so excited by the fact that Danny LaRue might be heterosexual. Whereas, in fact, we all know that he'd had a fling with Wayne King. And, um, and a, a friend of mine, I can't know, I can't tell you the story, actually. But it's a very funny story about seeing Danny in a, in a, in a gay bar with a whole group of people who were traipsing behind him. And uh, and somebody said to one of the people traipsing behind him, he said, so why are you with Danny LaRue? And Danny heard it and turned around and said, because I'm rich. <laughs> Which, of course, he wasn't at the end of his life. But again, it's, it's a generational thing. You know, if your parents are still alive and they don't know, although, of course, parents always know, take my word for it. So Barry Manilow coming out is no big surprise to anybody. If it makes him feel better, though, that's great. That's great, but it doesn't really make any difference. In the big scheme of things, what you think, he's going to be playing to three-quarter empty houses? Absolutely not. 
he's now going to be attracting all, all the gay guys in who up until now have been sitting there. You know, they've been, big, been able to go and see the Chippendales a few times. You know, I remember Biggins telling me that he went to see the Chippendales. It was only him and his boyfriend sitting there. The rest of it was all women. He said, well, we had a great time. And why not? Why not? Actually, Warren was on a flight, I think, with, uh, with Biggins' other half, Neil, I think, the other day. He sent me a text message saying, uh, because they all ended up, I think, seeing an American in Paris. Great reviews, incidentally, for not only American in Paris, but also 42nd Street, which I've got to see. I've got to see. And then yesterday, and it's now taken another turn, the Mel B uh, abuse. But bearing in mind, there are two sides to every story. At the moment, we're only hearing... One side. We're only hearing about the abuse for 10 years and the drink and the threesomes. Now it turns out that there are 20 people who have gone to seek uh, legal advice because they're worried that they've had threesomes. I mean, Dick, it's another world. Honestly, I'm, 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 I just the whole idea of my life is I sit at home in the evening with a bottle of Prosecco and cream crackers. It doesn't get any worse than that. That's about as bad as it gets. But with the uh, with the. Um, with sort of the advent that she apparently pinched Cheryl Cold Bottom, and uh, Mr. Belafonte went went a bit berserk. But anyway, twenty people are worried that they might have filmed their uh, their sex sessions, and I can't help feeling if you go into something like that, there is that danger that something could happen. And so Victoria Hervey, who apparently had a threesome with them and was more than happy to tell the newspapers, now now they're getting worried that in fact there could be a sex tape which could be released. Because she told us the lurid details. You know, I, and to be honest with you, I don't... I'm not really sure I care. I did say to the producer, though, and I do mention it quite a bit, and I will be on the free podcast, I did say, to be honest with you, this one is not going to end happily. This one is going to... They're going to be mudslinging left, right and centre. You know, because we don't know what's true or not. Because we've only heard one side. We haven't heard the other side. I do ask the question as well, and I asked the question again this morning. Do any of the other Spice Girls know what was going on in this so-called abusive relationship? Do we know anything about that? No. But now we hear that um, the nanny got pregnant. She was paid off. She had an abortion. So, so they say. We don't know. We don't know any of this. But she's got a restraining order against him because she's frightened. And if it's true, she's, she's quite right to be frightened. But it was going on from the moment they got married. I mean, you know, you worry about these sort of things, don't you? As I said before, if I was in a, a relationship and it got abusive, I'd be talking to friends about it, going, what do I do to get out of this relationship? It's as simple as that, because, you know, things can go too far. And the reason things go too far, and I don't know this for a fact, I'm just speaking generally, OK, is when drink is involved and copious amounts of drink, and there might be drugs as well, things take place that maybe you wish hadn't taken place. I mean, I was amazed that there were 20 people who've gone to lawyers. Could be, could be more, could be less, I don't know. That's the number they're quoting in the papers today. But I'm not taking that as, uh, as gospel. Um, I'm just sort of thinking to myself, so they've had all this sex. And once people go down that route of, you're in a marriage, but then you're both highly sexed. And she said on Loose Women, only a short while ago, that uh, they're highly sexed. That's what they talk about. You know, sex four times a day. I mean, God, four times a year, ladies and gentlemen, would be more than enough for me. Four times. God, please. I'm of the, um, of the sort of uh, the, the camp that goes to one side going, I'm sorry, sex? Uh, maybe another day. OK, another year would be better. Try me after Christmas. Ask me after Christmas how I feel about it. Mind you, if they produce a bottle of Prosecco, I'm the first one there with my tattle, tassel dancing. I'm the one there going, woo you know, and doing that kind of thing. But, you know, not. You get a bit older. But she said they have a great sex life. 
I mean, but if it involves drugs and if it involves drink, people behave differently. That's all I'm saying. That's why I think this one, and I'm never wrong, never wrong on these sort of things. I just foresee a bad outcome. I just foresee that they're going to be going into court and we're going to be hearing stuff because it's obviously going to be heard in America, I'm assuming. In which case, the American courts, it's all held in camera. There'll be news channels which will be running this to find out what went on. She's hanging on to her fortune. He's going to uh, to tell the uh, the people around her, and they will all they'll be called as witnesses. The people that they've had threesomes with will be called as witnesses. It's re- you know they'll be going, and the next witness, Lady Victoria Hervey. We know it happened because she's already told us it happened. Victoria Hervey sold her little side of the story, saying, you know, it was, and I'm thinking, why would you want to tell people this? Why would you want to do it? Don't do it, please. Please don't do it. Uh, Ian says, I saw Barry Manilow in concert in Vegas. Amazing show. Total entertainer. His personal life choices don't make any difference. Well, that's what I think. But there again, I'm, I'm sort of old school. I'm kind of thinking, who gives a flying forex? I... You see, when you think about it, it's actually quite a camp song, isn't it? You know, at the Copa, Copa Cabana. And, you know, and he, he, he danced on stage in this one. He put those ruffles on his arms. You remember doing this? He was doing this, and it looked as camp as a Christmas tree. Seriously, a Christmas tree that sang. But I was a big fan of Mandy, and uh, I write the songs and everything. He's an entertainer. What he does when he goes off stage, you know, is his business. What's it got to do with anybody? Mind your own business. You know, nobody cares, goodness sake. It's cute, isn't it, really? Yeah, that's a good song. It can, but, you know, it's OK. <laughs> I don't have a problem with this at all. Anybody have a problem with I can't believe, actually, that anybody who is seriously a Barry Manilow fan would have any problems with... They'd all be going, we've known for years. They're not stupid. They make out that the audience are dumb and they wouldn't sort of be going, you know, for this kind of thing. They don't care. They really don't care. You know, he's been with the same bloke for 40 years. Get a life. Get a life, for goodness sake, really. He's, he's come out to tell people. But you know what's going to happen? All the interviews that he's going to do, it's going to concentrate on, so why did you decide to come out at the age? You know, that's what it's going to be. Because I remember when um, there was an X Factor contestant, Joe McKeldry, and he came out. And I did say to him at the beginning, of the interview, why did you feel the need to come out? You know, what difference it makes to people? You don't need to say to anybody what you are, because A, it's got nothing to do with anybody, and B, do you think people would seriously be surprised? Somebody says, if you had to come out, how would you approach the issue? Who would you tell first? Would you tell the LBC audience? I don't think... I, th- I think you underestimate the LBC audience. I think you underestimate... think they're all a bit stupid. All right, we realise a few of them are a bit stupid, but, I mean, you know, why would anybody worry about things like that? Would it really make any difference? that there are gay radio presenters. Oh, I said it, I said it. I mean, really? You know, it's like somebody coming out and going... <coughs> so I heard somebody earlier on talking to Darren, or it might have been talking to Ian, actually, saying, you don't get straight people coming out and going, oh, by the way, I'm straight. You know, we go, so? And the same for sort of gay people coming out. You know, it's... if You know, I don't think anybody's ever seen the need to come out... I can't think of anybody apart from Barry Manilow, but again, as I say, it was so many, so far, so many years down the line. Ian McKellen came out late in life. It's this, sorry to use the word so soon in the programme, epiphany. But it is. It's people go, oh, I'm finally able to tell people. Because people come from different backgrounds. A friend of mine, who could be listening to this programme at the moment, so I won't name him, but he knows who he is when I tell you, that at the age of 15, he told his parents he was gay and they threw him out. He was thrown out. Because they didn't know how to deal with things like that. And it's, it's a case of it's different for everybody. Different people accept it. 
And yet here is the case, and I've got to read this story to you in a moment, because this is one of the biggest hypocrites ever. And uh, he's in America, and all I'll tell you is it's an interesting story. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Somebody has texted me and says, can somebody please tell Lola she's been waiting at the bar for 30 years? Her name was Lola. She was a showgirl. I mean, she must be ancient by now, but uh, but well worth it. Still to come, this uh, this hypocrite over in America. Uh, Steve, it did matter years ago, as you say. It's only recently that so-called heartthrobs, celebs with female followers, are revealing that they're gay. Uh, it's a fear that they'll lose their fame or their standing with the public. Ian McKellen talked about why he revealed later in life that he was gay. Uh, Rock Hudson, well, he got married. He got married to a woman. It was an arranged marriage by the studio. She didn't have the faintest idea. She, he was off with all the boys and everything else, as we all know. But, um, you know, it's, there are still many footballers. And, of course, as you're now going to discover, uh, it's not because somebody walks around dressed like a whoopsie holding a handbag and mincing. Oh, no, 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 no. These people can be married. I should imagine I can think... I could probably name... I could name probably about four footballers, five, who are, who are married... They're gay. Okay. Or you could call them bisexual, but I, I prefer to call them gay. It's easier that way. And they get married because they're embarrassed. But here is the case of a, of a lawmaker in Oklahoma. And uh, his name is Ralph Shorty. Ralph Shorty is a bit of a firebrand. He, um, he's anti-gay. He fights against uh, all these things. He's a, he's a fan of Trump. So I think that kind of puts it in context. Anyway, he's, he's also a married man. And he's got, um, I think... Two children. But he's gay. And he got caught out. He got caught out in a, in a motel room with a 17-year-old lad and drugs. So this is a man who's married, this, this hypocrite, who has been anti-gay for many years and uh, fought anything that gay people want to achieve in, uh, in Oklahoma. And uh, anyway, he's been charged by a vote of 43 to nothing. They've passed a resolution that suspended nearly all his privileges. He's charged with engaging in child prostitution, engaging in prostitution within a thousand feet of a church and transporting a minor for prostitution stroke lewdness. So he's the married father of two. Uh, It remains to be seen whether Oklahoma would move to impeach him. He represents parts of Oklahoma City now that he's been formally charged in. They've stripped him of his capital office, his parking space. Oh, God, not the parking space. That's the thing that's gone. And uh, he's, re- he's resigned, incidentally, as a result of this. They've scrubbed his name off any legislation, uh, as well as his office door. And uh, he was a member of the Oklahoma State Senate, but now he's resigned. Because he's gay. He was living a lie with the wife and the children, and he engaged in prostitution and drugs. And, you know, when you see these people, it's always those who shout loudest, isn't it? It's, it's always the ones who shout because they think that it detracts away from them. But you'd have thought if this man had half a brain cell and looking at him, he doesn't look like he's got half a brain cell, that uh, at some point he's going to get caught out. He's going to get caught out. Now, I don't know what the legal age is for gay sex over in, in America. I mean, over here it's 16. In, um, I think in Norway, I think it's 14. Uh, in America, I don't know. I know you can't drink till you're 21 in America, so I don't know. It might be 21 for gay sex. I've got no idea. I really have no idea. But uh, he was with a 17-year-old who was a prostitute, known as, I think, JM or something like that. And um, and he got caught out. But he's, he's, he's such a hypocrite. You know, no, we're going to knock down these gays and all this kind of thing. He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. 
And uh, I'm trying to find... Oh, it's different everywhere, is it? Oh, Lord. OK, in Oklahoma... Oh, there you go. The age of consent in Oklahoma is 16. Uh, a close-in-age exemption applies if the minor was over the age of 14 and the actor was aged 18 or younger. Age of consent in uh, other places. Uh, in Oregon, it's 18. In Oregon, it's 18. And uh, so the age of consent in Pennsylvania is 16 for sexual consent. But does it make any difference if the person that you're going with is older? Because I would assume that most of the people who are picking up uh, prostitutes in London would be older than they would be. You don't find young people going out to pay for it. They just go and stand in a bar and pick somebody up. They don't actually sort of go out there and pay for sex nowadays. So um, apparently you can still be charged if the victim was under 15. Although if the person... Because we had a girl a short while ago. She was pregnant at 12. And her, her boyfriend apparently was a little bit older. I don't ever remember whether that came to court. I don't ever remember. But uh, he, was, he was caught out. So presumably the wife will leave. It's, but it's different everywhere. It's different everywhere. But uh, at the time here, there was one here prosecuted, Donald Edgar Lukens, prosecuted under the misdemeanour charge, contributing to the delinquency and unruliness of a child for having sex with a 16-year-old. He was 58 and he got a 30-day jail sentence. So what this man will get if he's found guilty, I've got no idea. It's in America. We watch it, uh, we watch it carefully. But uh, what a fool. What a fool, you know, knocking gay people and voting against them and their rights and everything else. And he's doing exactly the same thing. Exactly. Not saying every gay person's going out there picking up hookers at, uh, at 17 years old and sort of smoking drugs with them. But uh, it's people like that that really make me sick. Somebody says, Steve, after 73 years, Man- Manilow comes out as gay. Why should that cause distress? So what if Mandy was Andy and Lola was just a bloke in a dress, says Bob in Penzance. Exactly. You know, he might have... Look at George Michael. He was singing about Club Tropicana and all the rest of it. Everybody knew he was gay, but he was singing songs about picking up girls. But the moment Wham! appeared on the scene with little shuttlecocks shoved down their shorts, dancing around on television in tight white shorts, was the time that people started going, I think maybe the lead singer could be gay. And so that was that. And again, it's really got nothing to do with, with, with people, has it, really? Sue says, LBC's fantastic, but when are we supposed to go to sleep? Um, well, on this programme, we're issuing um, uh, tablets to keep you awake for as long as possible. There is, there is no sleeping on LBC. The only time you can sleep is when the batteries run down in your radio. And then you can't, uh, you can't listen until you've been out and bought new batteries. That's the only time you get to sleep. The rest of the time, there's no, what's the point of going to sleep? Why would you want to go to sleep if there's somebody as entertaining as the bloke who's on the radio at the moment? You won't find anybody in his price bracket who is as entertaining and as witty and as, ooh, can't believe you just said that, kind of presentation. Push the boundaries as far as you can, everybody always says to me. You know, that's what radio is about. Have I taken a break? I did, ta- I did take a break, did I? I can't remember whether I've taken breaks now. I'm losing my marbles. I had a very odd dream this morning. Now, dreams apparently are only supposed to last seconds. In the actual concept of things, you think that they run for ages and ages and ages. And I was in my house in Staines. I used to live in Staines by the, by the river. And I couldn't actually see the river, but I was by the river. I was going to kind of, if I stood on the roof with a telescope, I could have seen the river, which is quite nice. You know, it's now Staines upon Thames. Or just the holding pen for the Jeremy Kyle show, which, of course, uh, somebody wrote to me and went, I can't believe you said that. And you go, well, we use it for Harlow, Basingstoke, Swindon, very popular at the moment. And now I think we're going to be using it for, uh, for Oklahoma. I think so. But anyway, and, um, and so I'm in my dream 
And I'm in my sitting room. It's all very real. You know, dreams are very real. This wasn't one of those odd dreams. And I'm in the sitting room. And my, my sitting room, the reason I bought the house is because it had a, a twist pile carpet in green. And all the furniture was pine when stripped pine was very fashionable. And it looked brilliant. And all the doors had been stripped and, and, I, and I liked it. So anyway, and it had a kitchen downstairs with a bathroom tapped on the back of it. And so I'm in the kitchen and I look through these, because it was all open plan, I look through and I can see Stephen Mulhern in my dream, walking up and down the road holding a kitten. OK, holding a kitten. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking through and I, So I go to the front door and I call out Stephen, but he can't hear me because I've all of a sudden inherited a rose bush in the front garden, which wasn't there when I lived there, but this thing's grown up. And he's asking people, which house does Steve Allen live in? And I went, over here, Stephen. And he went, oh, hi. So he comes in and there appeared to be other people in the house, but I can't remember who they were. I can't remember who they were. Anyway, and he puts his kitten down, which promptly shoots out of the double patio doors, which never existed. I never had double patio doors at all. But the kitten shoots through there, <coughs> climbs up the wall, and in the back garden, I used to have a huge rose bush with very thick thorns, but the kittens that we had at the time used to climb up behind it. So you couldn't get the little blighters out. And so I've said to him, I said, listen, the, the cat's gone up the bloody back of the wall and everything else. And so, and he went, oh, I'll get it. So anyway, he then... I then get the kitten out. By this time, it's gone to the toilet over my hand and everything else. And I'm having to mop up the carpet. And dark green twist is not the easiest thing, you know. And then for some reason, this dog appears from nowhere. A huge bull mastiff, with, which promptly proceeds to go to the toilet all over my patio. And, and Stephen Mulhern says to me, where's that come from? I said, I don't know. I don't possess a dog. The dog then vanishes in a puff of smoke. I told you, I've got to stop drinking. It's really bad for me. And, uh, and Stephen Mulhern then takes his shirt off. And I can't tell you what happened after that because I've got no idea. I just know that he ended up outside and I went, nice to see you. What he was doing there, he didn't even live anywhere near me. He'll think I'm mad. I've tweeted it. And I expect at some point today, Steve Mulhern will be writing back going, I'm now going to see HR. <laughs> Steve Allen is now dream Because I have started having dreams about people I know. But this one was so vivid. It was the fact that he was holding a kitten. And I can't remember the significance of him holding a kitten walking, you know, into my place. And a house that I don't live in anymore. I haven't lived in it for, you know, 25 plus years. Odd, isn't it? Odd. Very strange. But there you go. I'll probably have some more dreams. They always say if you eat before you go to bed, you have dreams. But you've got to eat cheese. Cheese is apparently very good. You eat cheese before you go to bed, you guarantee a dream. As I say, I wish I'd had better dreams, you know. But that was that was the dream that I got with poor Stephen Mulhern. He'll be he'll be selling up and moving from where he is at the moment. It'll be it'll be a nightmare, I can tell. Uh, still to come, the leading fundraisers who betrayed their supporters. It's all the big players. And they've been fined serious amounts of money because what they've been doing, and these are seriously you know every one of these companies. It might be one or two that you don't know, but they're all big companies. And they've been doing something that warranted them being fined. Uh, also, the shrinkflation hitting M&Ms and Doritos. More Lloyds Banks to be closed. A hundred, precisely. And they're going to axe 325 staff. And then yesterday, Tony Blackburn tweets that Brian Matthew has died. So I then tweet it, saying the person I grew up with on the radio, uh, because he'd just been dropped, I think, from his, uh, his programme on the radio on the BBC. Um, and then blow me down within a matter of hours he was alive again 
And it's the first time I've ever actually tweeted something, having to say he's alive again. The BBC cocked it up big time. Nobody checked. There's obviously some idiot at the BBC for that to read. Probably quite a few, I should imagine. Nobody checked it. Nobody checked it. You thought they would have gone, you know, to the, the news editor and gone, listen, we've had this thing in from somebody who says that Brian's died. In fact, he's critically ill. He's 88. He's critically ill. Um, and you thought somebody would have checked it. Quite clearly not on the BBC. They don't bother checking things. What's the point? You just issue an apology, go, oh, sorry about that. We just uh, killed somebody off. Oh, no, he's still alive. Good heavens above. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Thursday. It's the 6th of April. It's nice to be company. Welcome along to uh, what is uh, described as the programme with the spike. Uh, the spike, not just a spike, you know, every so often, all the time. All the time. More people listen to this programme than anything else. Karen says, I've seen Barry Manilow 36 times in concert. Love him. Love the fact he's gay. Always known. I know. I mean, why would anybody underestimate the Manilow fans? They would know that he was gay. It wouldn't make any difference at all. What difference would it make? None at all. This is the story. In case you've just woken up, I'm sorry to break it to you this morning. You might have to go into rehab or something, but uh, Barry Manilow's gay. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, but it's, it's, it's an age thing. I'm pretty certain it's an age thing. Because, you know, maybe his family was still alive or something like that and he didn't want them to know or he just didn't know how people would react. It's mainly how people would react, isn't it? You know, I can think of loads of, of singers and entertainers who are gay but whom they don't want to come out. I don't think you should have to come out. Why should you have to? Unless the press force you out, which is generally what they, uh, what they do. Somebody says, how long have you been presenting the show, starting at 4am? Uh, a day. Just started now, recently. New boy on the block, you know, kind of thing. It's very exciting. Uh, I don't know, actually. I've got no idea. I never worry about these. So why would you think about what, when you first started doing it? I don't know. I really couldn't tell you. Four years, five years, six years, seven years. I don't know. No idea. Actually, probably more than that. More than that, I would think. What, sh- what was I doing this back in um, in Bramley Road? I can't remember. It just all it sort of blurs into one. It just sort of blurs into one. I always say to people, mind your own business. What's got to do with you? Eh? You're not my uh, my contract writer. I like contracts actually. My boss said to me the other day he mentioned my contract. I don't know why. I was <laughs> he sort of mentioned. He didn't mention it in any way like, oh, your contract's running out shortly because it's not. Uh, but it's just that they always because we all work on contracts, as you know, because and you have to work on contracts because if all of a sudden your talent disappears or you can't string two words together or you know or you or you sort of I don't know I can't think of any other reason there must be something um, and you can't do the program if you're on contract they can't get rid of you. You kind of staff, so your contract, because it's one of those businesses. That's why all, all the people who work on television, all the, all the present, they're all contract people. So if the show bombs, then you, you get rid of them, or you pay off the contract, or something like that. That's how it works. Uh, the Sun this morning, it's Grand National Week. I'm having a look, actually. There's a 12-page pullout. That's how, how many races there are. 12 pages. We're only interested in the National. I couldn't, I couldn't care less about the other things, so I shall have to... Uh, I shall have to take guidance. But I'm, I'm, I tell you what, I'm just taken by the horses' names. So this year I'm not going to tell you what I'm going for. But uh, uh, I very rarely go on the nose. I generally go each way. You don't get as much money, but, you know, when you're as successful as I am in the racing world. Uh, Mel B's sex game with Cheryl drove hubby mad. I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know where that... Put it this way, this wouldn't have been filed in court papers... But uh, Mel is divorcing Belafonte, claiming he abused her for years. Uh, 20 people have now gone to seek legal advice because they think that they've had threesomes with them uh, and they've been filmed. 
Now, because I wasn't there, I haven't got the faintest idea, but they're getting very worried, including Victoria Hervey, who could have her first sex tape out very, very shortly. Uh, Ken Livingston, can you shut up? Livingston hate probe reopened. He just refuses to accept anything, Ken Livingston. I've discovered, actually, thick skin, like a rhinoceros. He couldn't care less. You could stand there and say, you're racist, you're this, you're that, you're anti-Semitic. It just bounces off him. Pa-ching, pa-ching, pa-ching. He doesn't, he doesn't care. Although I heard something the other day on LBC. If you, if you podcast um, Mr O'Brien, who, incidentally, tomorrow, tomorrow, Antiques Hour, I think we're looking at Renaissance Furniture. I think so. He did... Musical Hour today, and I think it's the Antiques Hour tomorrow. So, Musical Hour today, what did he say he's doing? He's doing, I think it was ABBA. I think they were doing ABBA, and there was something else. I can't remember what the other thing he was he was doing. Oh, that's right, he was doing Steps and Europop. So, that should be very good. He doesn't know anything about that at all. I've had to guide him on it. I've sort of said to him, you know, these are the groups that you should be featuring. But there you go. Uh, there's a picture of the paper today. I was, I'll, I'll probably mention it on the podcast of... Um, of uh, blind date narrator. She's just the voiceover. What's the point of putting a picture of her on there? Nobody gives a stuff. She'll be sitting in a little booth with a microphone. And this contains... Oh, nobody cares. They should have brought back Graham, actually. Our Graham. And uh, she'd beaten Vicky Patterson. I should imagine so. Whether you get used to the accent, I don't know. And so they've got a picture of, uh, of Melanie Sykes, who's obviously desperately suffering from some sort of insecurity, where she's posing in something which is practically see-through, but not quite see-through, if you get my drift. And so it's lovely here. She's um, the model-turned-TV presenter. She only ever did Boddington's, didn't she? I don't think she did anything else. But uh, she says, I'm working alongside my dear friend Paul. You'll be in a booth, darling. You'll be in a booth, OK? Far away. Far away. You'll just be doing the, the voiceover stuff. So not working with him at all. It doesn't work like that. Uh, also, Harry Styles has given a two-hour interview. Good God, two hours of boredom. To, um, to somebody called Nick Grum... Grumshy, I think. Anyway, I don't know who he is. Uh, he's some ageing Lothario, and uh, and it's it's Harry Styles is going to be basically flogging a record to you. That's what it comes down to. But in this two hours of tedium, um, he's uh, he's not going to be talking about One Direction. He's pointed to refuse to uh, to even mention them uh, because they're like that. You know that pe- people go like that after a while. Fans had hoped to clues when One Direction and their uh, will end their hiatus. They won't. They're not going to end their hiatus. Why would they? It's like the Spice Girls. You know, when are they going to end the hiatus? They're not. One Direction, why would they? They never liked each other. They never liked each other. Bandmates Louis Tomlinson, 25, Zane Malik, 24, and off on another planet, I'm afraid, Liam Payne, and little Niall, failed to get a mention. Instead, he talks about Ronnie Wood, Rita Ora, Chris Martin, Adele... And everything else. He's he's trying to move himself up the ladder. You know, if this single doesn't work, and if this album doesn't work, then it can't be through lack of promotion and publicity. But that's all it is. Every time you see pictures of Harry and Harry turning up somewhere, it'll be to... He, he doesn't want to dwell on one, one direction. He really doesn't. I don't know what any of the music is like. I've got no idea whether or not it's danceable music or whether it's, you know, soulful. Of course, he says... Who says it's the best thing he's ever heard? Oh, Harry Styles. Well, of course he would say that. He's arguing to say this is the biggest pile of rubbish I've ever recorded. You know, is he? He's not going to be saying, oh, my God, this is the crappiest album I've ever done in my entire life. But don't worry, I'll flog it to you anyway. I think it's nice, actually, that Radio 1 can afford to uh, bore people for two hours with the same interview with somebody. Uh, if you're a minor celebrity, why don't you have a go at it as well? Why not write into old Grum, Grumshaw, whatever I come at, and, uh, and say, you know, <clears throat> could I have two hours on your programme? 
It's very exciting, isn't it? No, not really. Would I do the same? Certainly not. I've got friends who I've had on in conversation, and they still only get the 20 minutes. They still only get the 20 minutes. Picture of the nanny um, who features into this Mel B's hubby's rage at whatever. It's just, it's not going to be pleasant, this. This is going to get worse and worse and worse. But apparently it came to a head when Mel B um, held hands with Cheryl and then tried to touch her bottom. Um, and then apparently he sort of lost it. He flew into a rage. Can't imagine why. The, the odd things that people do in their lives, isn't it? You sometimes think, am I in the real world or are they in the real world? Because I don't know half the time. I, I get a little bit confused about um, about the things that people are supposed to get up to. I don't know. Behind closed doors, I'm always, I'm always quite surprised at what goes on because I'm not privy to that kind of thing. And I know loads of celebrities, loads of celebrities. But I never think, I wonder what they get up to behind closed doors. Nothing, none of my business. In the same way, they probably aren't remotely interested in what I get up to in my life. Oh, I got given loads of coins yesterday. I got given, how many did I get? We were, we were talking about the new pound coins. And uh, my friend John gave me some. He had loads. He had loads. And so I've now ended up with five. I've got five of the new, have you not seen one? I'll I'll give no I'm not no they're mine, not have it five of the of the new pound coins. Would you like, you see they all want to swap now? No, no you can't have them. Look they're all really, all really shiny. Aren't they lovely? Look shiny 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 and all mine all mine. <laughs> they're lovely. I I do like them. I know I know they're all going to be in common use all over the place. A friend of mine, Darren's, got bagfuls of them because he had to go and get them for uh, <clears throat> for the Magic Circle. But uh, John gave me five yesterday. They're lovely. I really like them. I don't care what anybody says. There's something about shiny coins that makes me feel a very um, very satisfied person. I had to hand over a fiver for them, but it was well worth it. Well worth it. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, uh, the old stories in the papers today that um, Chris Packham has got his uh, dog in the freezer. He was so devastated that he put his dog in the freezer. I don't know why you would want to do that. Uh, Steve says, Lorna, I'm intrigued by people's dreams and I've Googled yours. The living in the old house part means that new situations have become comfortable for you. The kitten part is more complex, but uh, in short means beware of being misled by others. Oh, no, we quite like the kitten. It was just the fact it was going to the toilet everywhere. <laughs> Good, isn't it, really? So I like that. I love people analysing dreams. We used to have a dream analyst on LBC years ago. Uh, somebody who would analyse your dreams. And uh, Paul says, I couldn't sleep, so I've made coffee uh, and tried to copy your style of radio presentation, talking to my oven, trying to be entertaining. He says it lasted 14 minutes. How do you do it? Money. Money. Quite simply, money. It's as simple as that. Uh, no, I don't know how you do it. Somebody said to me, you know, how do you do it without taking phone calls or doing interviews or stuff like that? And I said, well, it's something I've I've learnt. It's something I've learned how to do. It's just having a conversation, isn't it? It's having a conversation with yourself. And sometimes you make yourself laugh. And so, Because I haven't heard any of this before. This is all new to me. I've heard of other people who can do it, but I don't think anybody... Everybody's supposed to be individual in radio. That's the whole idea that makes people attract themselves to somebody's radio programme. What is it that gets you an audience? And the answer is, um, I don't know. Trying to be unique, trying to be different, trying to do something that, that not everybody is doing and so that makes it entertaining i get loads of people in the business listening into this program i think because they can't believe it either uh ian says somebody told her her bmi is too high now i'm no doctor but i could tell you that 
Kevin the Milkman says the uh, the story of Brian Matthew dying was all over Facebook as well. I first read it on Gary Crowley's page. Lots of comments, everybody saying how sorry at the party. I know. I've got the same of them people going after I had to then put down. Um, he's come back to life again. People writing in going, Neil was writing in saying, well, that's terribly sad. And then people were sort of saying, oh, it's awful and this kind of thing. So I then tweeted that Brian's family must be delighted that people are saying such lovely things about him because he was, I used to listen to him because I loved his voice. I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know anything about him at all. That's the nice thing about radio. You listen to somebody's voice and if you like their voice, then you kind of get drawn into it. I don't, I don't know how it works myself because I, I don't do it anymore. I used to do it years ago when I wasn't in radio. Now I'm in radio. I don't, I don't really listen to people. I know who people are quite clearly because I work in a building full of radio stations. I don't think I've ever known a building with so many people on radio and you can walk around. I think we should have a little speaker outside this door so that people can hear me. <laughs> Purely for egotistical purposes, you appreciate, don't you? Uh, Rod Liddle talks today about Ken Livingston, as does everybody. He says, how can we seriously take the Labour Party? And yesterday, I think James O'Brien had uh, one of our reporters on who'd uh, come up against uh, Corbyn, who was just being unhelpful and sort of started being a little bit petulant. And there was a little clip that they ran uh, of Corbyn, because nobody seemed to get the, the better... They were just asking straightforward questions. And at the end, I think Corbyn, the, the microphone wasn't turned off. And we got a little clip at the end of, of Corbyn being a little bit, you know, just sort of, just irritated, I suppose. And I thought, why can't you just answer questions like normal people? Why do, why do politicians start behaving in such a stupid way that they paint themselves very badly? But apparently he had run-ins with everybody. He'd had run-ins with, you know, the BBC. He'd had run it because they didn't ask the right question. You think, why can't you just answer a question normally? Just answer it normally. Do you know, somebody asks you the question, so, you know, do you think that maybe at the next, uh, you know, the polls are showing you very low, at the next election do you think Labour will disappear altogether, a new party, would Tony Blair try and revitalise the Labour Party? But uh, as opposed to that, he goes, why are you asking the, those close questions? He just didn't seem to like anything that he was being asked. And I was sitting in the car listening to it, thinking that's... That's the advantage of being a radio reporter, because you've got your microphone, and I've got this here. So he ended this frosty interview with LBC and insisted that we stop recording after objecting to a question about his future. Uh, Vincent McAvinney went to the launch of Labour's local, local election campaigns and asked him a range of questions about policies, plans for the votes as well as topical issues like Gibraltar, Saudi Arabia. But he objected to a question about what he'd do if Labour got disappointing results in the elections in May. And so he said, we're a campaigning party, founded to be a campaigning party for social justice. We will continue doing that. I'm here to launch our local government election campaign. That's what we're doing today. And I'm proud to be here today with colleagues from Nottingham and many, many other countries across the world. And then Vincent said, but if you aren't the right person to deliver that campaigning party... Uh, that you say, will you take note? What would be a success for you on the 4th of May? And uh, Mr Corbyn uh, says, we're campaigning to win the elections. I'm proud to lead the party. I was elected to lead the party and that's the duty I'm fulfilling. We'll carry on doing that. Thank you very much. Vincent then thanked him. Mr Corbyn said, haven't you got anything else to ask about? And you think to yourself, but no, he'd asked what he thought were all the, uh, the right sort of questions. Have we got the audio of it? Do we have the audio of it? Can we play it? That's the duty I'm fulfilling, and we'll carry on doing that. Thank you very much. This is the end of the Thank you, Darren. Have you got anything else to ask me? Well, you're the leader of a party. Why can I not ask you about 
Yes, because I just stood up and I haven't had a chance to stop it. But you're the leader of the party. It's interesting, isn't it? He just... So, a bit of a uh, muted response from Jeremy Corbyn there to my questioning. I did ask him about a range of issues uh, today, like Gibraltar and the Prime Minister in Saudi Arabia, uh, but a pretty low-energy uh, campaign launch for him here in Newark. They don't, they don't like being questioned, do they? It's funny. It's only a straightforward thing. Somebody asks you a question, you give an answer. And surely, based on, on the answer you give, you either win people or you lose people. But... I'm very well, thank you, Paul A. Smith, asking me that. It's very nice, thank you. I know there's only one of you. I know that. I saw that. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's just being it's just asking a question. I remember years and years ago we had um, a very good reporter here who was questioning, uh, not in this building, but way way back in Fleet Street, Arthur Scargill, and he got Arthur Scargill down the line, and we played this interview out all the time. Uh, and he asks Arthur Scargill a question, and Arthur Scargill rounds on him like there's no tomorrow and proceeds to berate him. And he says, I'm just trying to ask you a straightforward question, Mr Scargill. And Scargill was having none of it. And you think to yourself, you've done yourself no favours. The other person who didn't do themselves any favours was Danny LaRue. Our reporter, Sue Jameson, lovely Sue Jameson, and uh, she, um, she went down. Danny LaRue was outside a theatre. They were talking about Sunday openings. And Danny LaRue was down there to show support to the theatre. They wanted to open the theatres on Sunday and people could play. Anyway, so she goes down there. And so she says, uh, are you not just muscling in on the publicity, Mr LaRue? Danny LaRue then let fly with this tirade against her, LBC and everything else. And, uh, and he said... Um, she, she went to, I think, he, he thought she was turning the machine off, but she wasn't. She was still recording. And he said, don't turn that piece of, used a rude word, off. She said, I'm not going to. He said, I'm used to talking to amateurs. And she said, I'm not an amateur, I'm a professional. And he said, anyway, he said, I'm a huge international star. He seriously said those words. I didn't think any, it's like, you know, do you know who I am? It was very much like that. It was very much like that. And it then got played out on the internet. And he said, I'm a huge international star. I'm booked up for years in advance. I don't need, quote, the publicity, my dear. And so if, if you check out online Danny LaRue interview with Sue Jameson, it was sort of Danny at his very arch, at his very arch. He was having, uh, he was, uh, <laughs> he was really having a mare of a day. But of course, LBC, because we were thriving on these sort of interviews, not, <coughs> <coughs> sorry, not all the time. Um, we well, yeah, have you got it? I'm, I'm I'm prepared to play it to you now because I'm feeling in a very so. Should we do it after the break? Okay. So this is it's it's Danny Larue coming up against our Sue Jameson many many years ago. I can't even tell you what what year it was, but I'm sure somebody will tell me. But uh, it was it was a long long time ago, and uh, Danny was not having it, as you'll hear in a minute. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. So here, I've got to play it to you now. This is the piece. I'm only playing it to you because we're sort of talking about people reacting badly. Corbyn reacts badly. He'd had a bad day with all the interviews and all the rest of it. Danny LaRue, way back, was having an even worse day. An even worse day. When our reporter, our arts and theatre reporter, Sue Jameson, went down to talk about Sunday openings. And then she asks a certain question. Now, you decide, listening to this now, whether you think he was being rude to her or not. It started off quite calmly. The stars of the show said they'd been intimidated by equity and were frightened to appear on stage in case they jeopardised their careers. The union issued a statement denying any intimidation whatsoever. There were about 30 to 40 people outside the Phoenix Theatre hoping till the last moment for a show. 
So Stephen Kendall Lane invited them in so he could explain why the show wasn't going ahead. That, however, took a back seat. Whereas stars like Lionel Blair have sent messages of support to the people who really mattered, i.e. the cast, female impersonator Danny LaRue turned up in person. It started off quietly enough as he put his case for Sunday openings. I'm working, thank God, and I have done many Sunday nights most of my life as one of the British clowns of theatre has worked. Give me the stage and I'll work. Uh, do you give nights? Does God give church nights? Do they take nights off because you happen to be a priest? We are entertainers. We must not be dictated to. I then asked what I thought was a reasonable question, and this is what followed. Could it be said that you're muscling in on the publicity that the show's I called? don't need publicity, my dear. I'm a very big, successful star. I think you're impertinent. <laughs> and how dare you be so... Don't switch it off, dear. I'm not. I'm used to talk... I am used to talking to amateurs. Well, you're not I talking to used... one Well, now. I shall tell you now, my dear. It is years of experience and bloody tears is talking into this you're... piece of crap. I don't need, quote, I am booked up for three years and you only have to find out who wants to book me. I am going all, I'm an international star. In that I case, why are you so touchy about what I just asked you? I think Because it was a you said, question. am I wanting publicity? I don't I, need. I asked you if you were muscling in on publicity the, here. They why answered you, you. The audience answered you, my dear, not me. They applauded your, your stupidity and your ignorance and your bad manners. Well, I think you're being very rude and bad-mannered to me. Not to you, my dear. I find you inarticulate. Let us just say that I have felt more welcome in my life. Mr LaRue then made some more rude comments about LBC and independent radio news. I won't tell you what else he said about me, but you can probably imagine. Having had both my microphone and my arms strongly grabbed by an irate female impersonator, I don't think I'll bother to repeat the experience. Meanwhile, the battle over Sunday theatre openings continues this week. It was it, that was so iconic back in its day because it was it was somebody sort of fighting back really. Sue, if if you're listening, you have to forgive me for playing that, but it ties in with sort of Corbyn losing his temper at the end, but then Danny Larue decided. But he was he was a big big star. There's 1981 that was from 1981. I know it. I know it was a long time ago. It's so funny because Sue uh, used to bring her son into LBC when he was very young because he liked magic. And uh, he's now a strapping, you know, stra- honestly, people's kids grow up so, so quickly. But uh, anyway, it was it was very interesting. At the time, I think that got played on LBC so many times throughout the day. Literally every show was playing it out because it was it was just interesting at the time. It was sort of somebody losing it a little bit and uh, and Sue holding her uh, her ground very well indeed. So there you go. We'll do something different on the programme, don't we? But uh, but the Corbyn piece I had to play to you as well because I heard it yesterday. I mean, just, just radio gold when you get sort of Corbyn. And you think to yourself, we're always told, think that every microphone is live, even if it's not good. Of course, I'm useless with that one. I mean, if you if you recorded everything that I said in the studio, you'd have another 10 years of programmes. Seriously, we talk about all sorts of things. We talk about everything, you know, whilst we're sort of listening to the adverts and the news and everything else. And and sometimes it's entertaining and sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's like, I can't believe he just said that. You know, that's the kind of thing. No, none of it could ever go out. I mean, not in a million years, but it would be it would be brilliant. Uh, I've got an idea for a new show on LBC, says Scott McCabe. 
Hasn't everybody? Every week, have a few presenters all around a table debating the week's news. O'Brien clashing with, uh, with Katie Hopkins could be Radio Gold. Well, O'Brien clashing with just about anybody, I think, would be Radio Gold. The trouble is, I could never do that. I could never do that with him because he knows bigger words than I do. And so I'm not going to embarrass myself. So I can just about cope with him in the office. We just about get through. He thinks we're doing a road trip. This is his, his, his fantasy. He thinks a road trip. Steve Allen and uh, James O'Brien on a road trip. He's quite serious about it. He thinks it's quite a good idea. I, of course, am terrified. We might have to share a hotel room and I'm not sure about, you know, his sleeping habits. Anyway, coming up to the news at, uh, at five o'clock this morning. Uh, David Beckham says he likes the old posh. I didn't know there was such a thing as an old posh. There's, a, there's, a, there's an old posh around at the moment. Foreign aid, now it soars by 1.2 billion. Older folk need the same amount of sleep as the young. The leading fundraisers who betrayed their supporters. These are big, big charities. They've been very naughty. They've, uh, they've been breaking their own rules and they've been fined at the same time. Uh, more parents in court over term holidays. Lloyds Bank closing 100 more branches. Colleen may have tot number four. Rivetingly exciting. Uh, Cockadoodle doom. Chickens poisoned after neighbours' noise row. And putting a freeze on cold calling. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, a very nice to be company. I'm Steve Allen. I'm with you until seven this morning. So if you've just woken up, you've got about two hours to get yourself ready and get. Oh, I just realised Ollie should have missed the bus by now, so that's okay. We can cope with that. Anyway, uh, well done, Sue from LBC at the time. Um, it, interesting. Danny LaRue was bang out of order. It's interesting hearing it from so many years ago. And, and it, it did turn the corner, you know, in, in terms of what people put out. Years ago, you wouldn't have bothered putting things like that out. It was interesting. James O'Brien asked the question the other day of our reporter on the Corbyn thing. Do you think we're now going to be banned from talking to Corbyn? Because very, he might not have anybody else left to talk to. There might be anybody. And all you have to do is just answer questions. That's the whole art of it. Not sort of stamping your foot and throwing your toys out with a bathwater kind of thing. Uh, thank you, says Duncan, for that Danny LaRue experience. I think it's just taken over my sweet brown entertainment dinner experience. <laughs> it's interesting, though, isn't it, when you hear... And there's no, no end of bits like that all over the, uh, the internet. You can find them, some, some great pieces. Apparently, Corbyn, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, gave ITV's reporter at the event an even harsher critique than he gave to our reporter, Vinny. I mean, it's just perhaps he was just having a bad day. Perhaps somebody told him his VAT was going up to 16.5% and he decided to retaliate. But it just, it's just so unnecessary. So unnecessary. Because, you know, it's, it, you feel like, as a reporter, I suppose, nice to go out and do it, but it's the PRs who push you around like you're nobodies. It's really terrible. I mean, you know, you've got to have a fairly thick skin to be a reporter in this day and age, you know, because you feel like sort of turning round to them and saying, listen, we're not going to bother doing any more interviews, OK? You get your own publicity. You know, Nick Ferrari was, was saying when talking about uh, David Moyes, do you remember the, the David Moyes story the other day? The, the journalist's job is to ask the questions that people want to hear the answers to, that, that people, people don't want asked. That's it. That's the whole thing, isn't it? You ask a question. It's like when I ask questions of my guests, I don't do it to embarrass them. I'm just genuinely asking, and uh, as Vinny said, he said, I'm just asking because I'm interested. I want to know what your thoughts are on the fact that, you know, you might not do very, very well. He just wants to know all these different things that are going on, and it's, you know, and you should ask the question. And, you, and he should have the courtesy to respond properly and just say, well, actually, um, 
no, you're not right, I think it'll be this or that. Instead, because now it's, it's made it worse for him. And very shortly, journalists will be saying, I tell you what, let's not even bother covering him anymore, you know. <laughs> what is the point? Uh, Reed Corbyn, says Lee, it's the mark of a political leader to take on the difficult questions. I wonder how quickly he'd stamp his little foot with the mighty Ferrari. I think he probably would have done the same thing. I think because he was always having a bad day with just about everybody, which sort of makes you worry, doesn't it, about about the state of things? I'm quite sure it's like uh, I can remember years ago Brian Hayes having in uh, a guest in the studio. And I think it was Betty Davis. Brian would have one guest a week who'd be a big star. Betty Davis had her autobiography out, and I th- I've told you this before, where she came in and he asked a question, and she said, "I don't want to talk about that." And he said, well, you will talk about that because that's what you're here to do. You're here to talk about these things which are in your book. Otherwise, you might as well just, you know, curtail the interview. And she said, it was 1938. And, and so it went on. And I thought that's the way to do it. No, if somebody goes, I don't want to talk about this. I've had this low, no end of times. Well, not no end of times, about three times where, where the PR has said to me, and not most of the PRs I know, and they know what my style of interviewing is and they know the way I do things. I'm not out to trap anybody. I'm out to get a good interview for them to have a good experience and then they go away and they go, well, that's nice. And the PR to go, well, we'll, we'll put mo- loads more guests Steve Allen's way because he does a nice interview. And they'll always say to me, on, not always, but on three occasions, they say, uh, can you not talk about X, Y or Z? And I said, and I always say to the producer, what for? And they go, well, because they've asked that you don't talk about that. So I've gone, OK, fine. I won't, I won't ask about that. And blow me down. The guest has brought it up in conversation. I've never mentioned it. And so I kind of look pleadingly at the PR and they sort of raise their eyes to the ceiling. When I was talking to Sheena Easton, uh, I wanted to ask about Prince and I had to approach it in a way that I thought it was, you know, because she might not have wanted to talk about Prince and how instrumental he was in in her career taking off in America. So I said, listen, you don't have to answer this this question because it might still be sort of fairly raw. But Prince, uh, he was influential in your career in America. Uh, the press made out they'd had a relationship. She said, no, there was no no relationship. She said, I, I spoke to him. Not all the time, she said, but he would phone me and invite me down to go and listen to things at his studios, which now open as a tourist attraction. And um, so she was fine about it. But I thought, you have to ask somebody. There's a way of doing it, not you will answer this this question. And so when you get the journalists, and as Vinny said yesterday, he said, you know, you do get pushed from pillar to post or prodded by a PR going, OK, I've had your time, out. And you think, excuse me, who do you think you are? These people desperately need your publicity. They desperately need the oxygen of radio stations and of newspapers and stuff like that. You know, people are so rude to you. I know, you feel like turning around and going, why don't you... We had that actually years years ago. I've told this story before, but I only mention it again. We had a reporter and she went out to cover a a story uh, up the country. And what they used to do is they used to have to do the story. They used to file the story back on the telephone. The early days of the telephone. Remember those? Alexander Graham Bell here. Hello. And um, she, she'd she been up there. She d- we didn't have mobile phones. There were no mobile phones. So she went into a shop and she, she said to the shopkeeper, she said, can I borrow your phone? I've just got to file something back to London. Yep, that's OK. I'll pay for the call. You know, I'm not sort of because people did that in those days. You offered to pay for the call. <coughs> so she then has to call our master control room at LBC to say, hello, it's whoever it was. And uh, they go, OK, hold on one, one second. OK. We're st- and they would start the tape machine rolling. And she would then go three, two, one. The train crash, which just occurred, blah, blah, blah. So she starts going down. She's a minute into it. And then you hear a voice going, are you going to be much longer? And so she stops 
And she goes, no, I'm just filing this this report now. OK, OK. So she, she tries again. Three, two, one. The train crash, which occurred, blah, 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 blah. It wasn't a train crash. It was something else. And, um, and again, within about 30 seconds, this bloke interrupted. And he said, I need to use the telephone. She said, I'm nearly finished. I'm nearly finished. She was holding it together. And then came the final time where she starts filing three, two, one. The train came off the rail, blah, blah, and he interrupted. And she turned around and said, why don't you off? <laughs> Click, the line went down. That was the last time she was allowed to use the telephone in that shop. But that's what you're up against. You're up against people who are sort of, they've got rather inflated egos. And it's generally, you know, the PRs that surround the politicians who think they are politicians and they're really important. And uh, I don't think he wants to answer questions about that. Well, what's the point of him being here then? He's here to answer questions. That's the whole idea. Why not? If you don't want to answer the question, just say it in a normal way. Don't become aggressive. Just say, listen, I don't really want to talk about that. I've never had that with an interview, but I know it does. It does occur. And I mean, the, the worst thing is for Barry Manilow, who incidentally has come out as gay, shock horror probe, hold yourself together, um, is that every interview he's going to do when he comes back to the country to um, to talk about his tour, they're going to talk about him being gay and when he decided to come out. Now, he's either going to get bored with that by about the third interview uh, or he's going to run with it. It's a difficult thing to know. It's a, I don't know how I would play that, but I would be tempted to ask about why, you know, and, and did he not think that people thought he was gay to start with? I mean, he's been with his boyfriend for 40 years. You not think people know these things? Of course they do. Of course they do. But it, the, the truth of the matter is, it just doesn't matter. Pleasing picture in the paper today. I like a pleasing picture. And uh, and we've got one. Little Bradley. You know, the little five-year-old boy who's got this terminal illness. Uh, they're going to use him. I say use him. They're going to put him in at the Grand National. And so they've got... Uh, he is a, a Grand National winner. Uh, he's pals with England ace Jermaine Defoe, as you know. He's going to visit Aintree uh, from his home in County Durham. Uh, bless it. He's going to be awarded an honorary... 41st place finish in the Grand National. Bless his heart. I mean, honestly, you've only got to look at a picture of him and you go, he's, he's sort of getting used to having his picture taken now. And uh, he, he can spot the cameras a mile off. He's five and he's not, he's not a well little boy, but he's, uh, he's, he's holding it together. He's holding it together. That's, that's all, you can, uh, all you can hope for. As in the case of uh, Brian Matthew, who's also holding it together. The inept BBC, who actually put out a story that Brian Matthew had died at four minutes past 12. They didn't bother to check. They just sort of got a piece of paper in or something, came in on a teleprinter or perhaps a carrier pigeon, delivered it. And it said Brian Matthew is dead. So they put it out as, a, as an official thing. Brian Matthew has died at the age of 88. And the family went... Uh, no, he's actually in hospital at the moment. He's critically ill, but he's he's very much alive. And they had to. That was two hours later, two hours and a few minutes later. The the dim reapers, as they say. I mean, nobody checked. Nobody checked. I mean, you know, months after they actually dropped Brian Matthew, uh, they then put out that he's dead as well. I mean, to be honest with you, as a tribute, Radio Two even played the former show's signature tune, Foot Tapper. Oh, how marvellous that must have been. <clears throat> But uh, a spokesman later said we were informed by close family and friends that Brian had passed away. <coughs> Why didn't you check it? Why didn't you check it? They quite clearly didn't. Shoddy journalism. Sh- but there again, we've had, uh, we've had a lot of shoddy journalism on the BBC, haven't we, over the years? I think we're all aware of what it is. Uh, there's also, oh, I'm sorry to, uh, to disappoint those people, but there is a company who were offering you the opportunity to, um, to be crucified. So you could get the true Easter experience. They were raising money. 750 quid gets you crucified. Now, there is a place in the world 
and I can't remember where it is, it might be the Philippines, where they do actually crucify somebody. Uh, not so that they die, but they do crucify somebody. They are tied to a, to a cross, and the cross is, is erected. And, and they do that. It's part of um, a religious festival. Uh, but this one was over here. The church had pulled the plug immediately. What do you think you're doing? Well, we thought we'd offer people a chance to be crucified. What? Are you mad? Why would people want to do that? It is the Philippines. There you go. It's a devotional practice. Devotees or penitents are willingly crucified in imitation of Jesus Christ's suffering uh, and death. The customs are strongly discouraged by the Catholic Church. Um, the Department of Health insists that participants in the rites should have tetanus shots and the nails used should be sterilised. They're actually doing it. They're actually doing it. I mean... Um, they're sort of bound up with rope and everything else like that. They do it in uh, San Fernando, Pampanya, in the Philippines. And they do crucify. They don't die, obviously. It's, it's just done as part of this religious festival. But nobody, uh, nobody likes it. Nobody seems to like it. Too. But crowds form for it. And it's apparently quite an honour. I mean, there's one man called Alex Larang who claims to have been crucified every year since 2000. One of them, a dishwasher, a wheeler and a pedicab driver... Uh, to, uh, expected to take the role of Christ, uh, replacing somebody called Reuben Energy, who's been crucified 28 times as of 2016. It's nice, isn't it? What do you do for a living? I get crucified. And there's all sorts of people, but they do hammer. I mean, it's... it's, it's all I know. We're looking at the pictures. They really do hammer nails through their hand. And he's sort of tied up as well. It's, uh, it's an act of devotion. I know, I don't quite understand it either, but people do strange things for devotion, don't they? I'm watching a... Pro oh, sorry, I could take a quick break. I must tell you about a programme in a minute. I'm watching uh, one of these programmes on the husband who's got three wives and all these children. It's really peculiar. Very peculiar. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. 20 minutes past five, if you're clock-watching and you need to, uh, to catch a train. I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather you stayed in and listened to LBC. Uh, I'm with you till seven. Read Danny LaRue. Uh, other Victoria Wood has seen on TV special some years ago. Mrs Overall was interviewed. She said she was a huge, huge star. Yes, uh, she was She was playing a part. Uh, what she was playing was Noel Gordon from Crossroads, who when they axed Crossroads, uh, Noel Gordon was sort of, you know, seen with sort of the, the scarf and the dark glasses, and that was the part that she was playing. But it was, it was based on Noel Gordon, who was a huge, huge star. Huge, huge star. Uh, Amber says, I'm, uh, I'm listening... On my way to work. Roll call status, like at school. Yes, sir. That kind of stuff. I like the idea of roll calls. I like the idea of uh, all those sort of old-fashioned things. You know, when you clock in. Every time I watch On the Buses, which cops up on the... T Everybody who goes into the garage has to sort of clock in on a little a little time clock machine. And that, uh, that determined people would queue up for ages and ages. Paul says, the old and the new, the new pound and the thruppany bit. I do like the new pound. I think it's lovely, actually. Now I've got five of them. Producer's never seen one. So I'm going to let him touch one during the news at half past. I mean, he'll have to wear gloves. I'm not... Uh, I mean, the funny thing is, they're, they're going to be all over the place, but at the moment, still relatively new. It's like the uh, the fivers, isn't it? The new fivers. We've now got used to seeing those. Uh, thank you. And he says, seems rather appropriate that Mr Corbyn launched his election campaign in solid Tory Newark, the only town in the country that's an anagram. I can't work that out, so I'll save that for somebody else. 
Oh, is it? Oh, right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, Barry Manilow in all the papers today. Why I waited so long to reveal I'm gay. And it's it's what we said before. It's a different generation. He was worried that the fans wouldn't wouldn't like him anymore. I think they all knew. I seriously think that the Barry Manilow fans were well aware of the fact that our Bazza roadside saddle. Our Bazza sings nice songs. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what his sexuality is. He's been with his boyfriend for 40 years. They got married three, four years ago now. And, um, and you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, this weekend, warmer than the south of France. 73 degrees Fahrenheit. Wee! I think. I'm not uh, sure about that. Uh, Farage tells the Mafia EU, you're not holding us hostage, we're free to go. People seem to... Sort of, they, they, he's very much Marmite, isn't he? I've discovered, actually. People either absolutely adore him or absolutely hate him. I think it's the same with sort of any controversial figures. I think it, I think it goes like that all the time. Uh, the charity's fined for sharing data on millions of donors. And um, I've got a, a bigger version of that coming up a little bit later on. Uh, there's also the question, the Labour links with anti-Semitism are now unmasked. And could you be a soldier? The National Army Museum in London's Chelsea uh, gives the reporter here a sense of life on the front line, both past and present. They've got everything. And I think anybody would be interested in this. It's the same sort of thing as the we've got the uh, Imperial War Museum, which is an amazing place, really amazing place to go to. And this National Army Museum, we've got all sorts of things, including Princess Elizabeth's uh, uh, uniform and a Scottish poppy and stuff like that. They've saved all sorts of things. They've also got Lawrence of Arabia's original robes. I mean, I'd like to see things like that. I'm very interested. I'm going to start getting back into into museums. Uh, There's also an age-old question in the paper today. Doris Day has discovered she's 95, not 93. A mistake she greeted with the words, it's great to finally know how old I really am. Well done, her, writes Virginia Blackburn. It would be great to finally know how old quite a few of her fellow actresses are too, some of whom I'm pretty sure were once five years older than me, but now seem to be about five years younger. No doubt it's the Californian sunshine. It's that age thing, isn't it? People say, so how old are you? And you go, I don't know. You know, people tell fibs about their age. I mean, you wouldn't find me doing things like that. That would be very shoddy and cheap and an insult to people who know my true age because it's a state of mind. I'm totally convinced age is a state of mind. You know, some mornings you look in the mirror and you go, I'm sure I've aged since I went to bed last night. I climbed into bed one age and I've woken up and I'm now looking at a completely different person. And so you have to start rescuing your face. And that's it, isn't it? You throw cold water on it. You stand in the shower. You just oh, dear, I just don't look right. But you do need that shower in the morning, I've, dis- I've discovered. You do need a shower in the morning because that's the thing that wakes you up. That and about 300 cups of coffee, I think, to sort of try and bring you into reality. I like that. I like the idea of bringing yourself into reality. And then sort of settling back and opening up the papers and uh, and discovering that they've now put down all the superfoods. Remember yesterday? What was I telling you? Marmite. Marmite a day. A teaspoon of Marmite. I'm not suggesting you take a teaspoon at one go. That might blow your socks off. Uh, there's other superfoods that can boost... Um, thinking skills because we all do it don't we it doesn't matter how old you are i'll sit here and i'll go um so i can't remember who it is and we both sit there staring into the distance you know trying to remember the name of an actor or an actress or somebody who appeared on television i can never remember it until i get i said give me a clue a friend of mine will say oh guess who i saw the other day i had no idea i said do i look psychic just just give me a clue you have to give me a clue 
And, uh, and they start giving me a clue, and I sit there staring into the distance, going, I've got no idea. Please don't ask me these questions. Just makes me feel a little bit sort of inadequate. And I don't like to feel inadequate on any day of the, uh, the week. They've all gone mad for Aintree. Um, as I say, I'm sure... I, I'm not going to encourage gambling, I'm afraid. I think you should gamble responsibly, because that's all it is. It's just gambling. It's got nothing to do with anything else. People are... You, you aren't putting money on a horse for the sheer fun of it. You're putting it on there because you want the thing to win. And not only do you want it to win, you want it to win for you so that you can be the one who gets the money. Because that's the whole idea, isn't it? You don't, you don't gamble just to give the money to the, the slot machine company or anything like that. That's why Vegas is so interesting. I can actually wander around Vegas and not put any money in fruit machines at all. You don't have to be particularly strong to do it. There's just so many of them. And you see people, this grim determination. I've, said, I've, I've seen people sitting there with their oxygen cylinders next to them. And they're connected up, so they're breathing in pure oxygen, sitting there pumping money in and putting their dollar bills in and everything else. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to watch. If you've never been, you should go. But uh, if, you're not, um, if you're not sort of into gambling, well, then you wouldn't be remotely interested in Vegas. It's big and it's brash and it's adult playgrounds and it's, it's, uh, it's sort of good if you like that sort of thing. And it's very cheap to, uh, to eat there because there's so much competition. So much competition. A friend of mine's going over there. He said, what would you recommend I see? I said, well, go to old Vegas. Not new Vegas. Go to the old Vegas. It's all covered over now. You know, the, uh, the, um, the cowboy, you know, smoking a cigarette. That's there under this huge sign. They've got a zip wire that goes down. They've got museums and you can just wander. It's quite nice, actually. And then it turns into a disco at night, which is even more fun because you're doing it outdoors, really. But it is covered over. Uh, Mel B's nanny laid bare... I think that's, you know, the actual description. And um, she's alleged to have fallen pregnant after romping with Mel B's monster husband, Stephen Belafonte. But as I say, we don't know any of this. This is just the stories that appear to be uh, emanating at the moment. But until we've actually uh, sort of seen something, uh, you know, which is, which is of interest and something which comes out in court, we're not going to know. My friend Danny's going to Aintree this weekend. He said, uh, I've got a good tip for you, too. I'm not going to share it. Thank you, Danny. I'm not, I'm not going to share that with anybody. I always think that's bad luck. But uh, never been beaten. <laughs> it almost looked a bit rude, actually, when I looked at it. I wasn't too sure. But uh, Danny's, uh, Danny's got this. He, he, he likes going betting. Also, uh, one of my friends um, um, who's on a radio station up north, he has a, he has a horse. He's got a share in a horse. And uh, and he's also into horse racing. Although, strangely enough, the other day, I must just say, this has got nothing to do with, with Danny, but I'm sure he's, he's actually been fishing. Uh, my brother went to France and he caught um, a fish, 48 and a half pounds. Now, 48 and a half pounds is quite big. I'm not remotely interested in fishing. Neil will tell you, listening at the moment, he will tell you Steve has no interest in fishing. But my friend John goes fishing as well. And he was really intrigued by this. He said, the difference is, he said, if I sat down with your brother, we would talk fishing for half an hour at least. He said, why don't you come fishing with me? I said, no, I'd be bored witless. I'd be this sort of person going, listen, we've been here 10 minutes. How much longer do we have to go? And he'll go, we're here all day. And I go, I don't think so. So my brother goes fishing in France and he catches sort of like, you know, seven fish in seven days or something. And he's quite happy with that. Me, I'm like, click off, cannot do it at all. And, and John's going, but you don't understand how exciting fishing is. So my brother sent me photos of the fish he caught, because all fishermen hold their fish, you know. I'd like to see them basically with just a lot of chips around them, but most fishermen hold them in the arms like that. It's very big. And then John's going, oh, that is beautiful. And then my brother sent in a picture of the lake where he went fishing, and John is like, by this time, he's gone into raptures. Oh, that is so beautiful. 
I'm looking at it going, it's just a piece of dirty water. And you catch the fish. I think the truth of the matter is the fish are just sitting there going, OK, whose turn is it to be caught today? OK, you be caught today. Oh, here we go. Oh, 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 oh. And then a picture taken. So it's like, you know, people coming into London taking pictures of the uh, of the guardsmen down at Horse Guards Parade. And they sit there and people try and make them laugh. Or at Buckingham Palace, they'll, they'll do it. Uh, or at Windsor Castle, where you can get up close to them. But uh, woe betide you if you try taking the mickey. They'll round on you very fast indeed. You find yourself ejected. So uh, just be warned. Just be warned. It's like taking flowers up to Highgate Cemetery. Well, it's not quite the same, but you're not allowed to because they'll take them away if they think they're for George Michael. Uh, I don't know how we got from fish to George Michael, but Danny, thank you. I'm now late for the news. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Interestingly enough, Dave, uh, Davy Boy Beckham's poked his head above the parapet. Hello, Davy. What you got today? Oh, I just uh, thought I liked the old Victoria. But she did. Apparently he said that he likes the old Victoria and why can't she wear some of the old outfits? Yeah, that's kind of... A, why would they release something like that? I mean, what a bizarre... Thing. We know she's launching a, a little cheap fashion label. Uh, ironically, using a piece of Spice Girls music. The Spice Up Your Life. And I thought... I couldn't work that out. What, so they've allowed her to use that in a thing. So she's clinging on to the Spice Girls thing, but she doesn't want to be part of the reunion. What's that about? But anyway, Victoria has confessed her husband doesn't understand her fashion choices. No, I don't think any of us understand the fashion choices. In fact, to be honest with you, they're, they're so funny, they're a joke book in themselves. I mean, seriously, I mean, the fact you're a sort of a Hertfordshire girl. Do they tell jokes about Hertfordshire? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, could you do jokes about Hertfordshire girls? No. Girls from Streatham? No, not really. Why is it just Essex girls get the jokes? Because they do. Have you seen the programme Towie? Goodness me. She says, are there pictures of me in regrettable outfits? Most of them, dear. Most of them. The worst ones, of course. I mean, apart the Spice Girl stuff, I don't mind because I don't see them as uh, clothes. I see them as outfits. They're called showbiz outfits. I mean, you've only got to laugh at poor old Little Mix, who wears some of the most bizarre... I mean, it's like the village people, you know, as work, going out on the street dressed up as their characters. You know, do you seriously think somebody's going to walk down the street dressed as a Red Indian? I mean, come on, for goodness sake. So, Victoria Beckham, her little outfits in the Spice Girls, but that's what David like. Well, I like those... You know, and then she got him wearing a sarong and we all went, oh, yes, very nice indeed. And David, of course, fails to understand it, but it got them coverage and it keeps getting them coverage. And she's now launching the cheaper end of her market. She's done the expensive stuff. So now she's doing the outsize for fat birds. And, uh, and I don't know what the outfits look like, but she, she's getting a load of a load of coverage about it. But he likes her wearing what she used to wear. But then, you know, I used to wear a romper suit and I thought like, I look pretty cute in it. But apparently nowadays it's not appropriate. I don't know why. I've asked the boss a few times. Any any problem with me coming in in a pink romper suit? Oh, I don't think that's very not a very good idea, Steve. I'd love to do it, though, just to be on second thought. No, maybe not. Not with my legs. I'm seriously the most unattractive person with clothes on and off. There is no middle ground with me whatsoever. I don't sort of look good in a half light. In fact, the only time I look good is on my, uh, my pass for this company, where I actually look sort of reasonable. But then I realise that when I look at this picture, I was held together by clothes pegs. They, they, to make the shirt fit my body like a glove, sticking out in five places, they, uh, they pegged the back of me with all these clothes pegs to make the jacket look a bit more of a fit and all the rest of it. Apart from that, I just look like a sack of potatoes. But that's, that's the trick of the trade, isn't it? Make those radio presenters look attractive. Nobody thinks radio presenters are attractive. Gary Bushell used to say Steve Allen's got the perfect face for radio. What that meant, I've got no idea for a man who looks like Popeye's friend Bluto. 
Uh, racing tickets go online for massive profit. They reckon you're going to spend about forty million quid on the on the national. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to buy. I think I have to say again because I'm supposed to say you have to gamble responsibly. Um, and I'm sure that most of you will. It's the only one time a year, though, isn't it? It's the only time a year. Proud to wear the flag, the team beaten by the gang in Croydon. This is the asylum seeker. I've lost track of how many people they're talking to about this this attack. Um, there's a story about George Michael. I can't begin to tell you what this story is, so I'm not going to tell you what it is, because I just don't think it's appropriate. I think it's it's very ill-appropriate and uh, not not the right time to do silly things like that. Um, so you've got Harry Styles all over the place. Why? Because he's launching an album and a single and he wants to get back into the charts and he's hanging around with Ed Sheeran. But of course, Ed Sheeran kind of dominates the charts. He's doing very well indeed. And so Harry Styles thinks he's actor. Anybody seen him acting yet? Me neither. I'm sure it'll be absolutely rivetingly exciting. And um, and then he's bringing it he's found time to record an album. That's all he's doing. He says Adele has inspired my music. The rubbish these people come up with. The rubbish they come up with. But I'm always intrigued by it. And, uh, and I just, I quite like the idea. Uh, the Kendall ad is canned. Fury over the, uh, the Pepsi promo. I never saw it. I didn't know what it was all about. I wouldn't even know her if she walked stark naked around Leicester Square with a, with a sort of holding a, a dealy bopper in one hand. I seriously wouldn't know. Uh, ben says, uh, we still have a clock-in machine where I work. Granted, it's a digital one. I hate the line in the morning. Do you have... Isn't that funny? Uh, we, we don't... Well, obviously, we don't have things like that. That would be just ridiculous. And uh, Duncan says, and uh, thank you for devastating my mother by outing Barry Manilow live on air. She's here from Yorkshire, staying with me and is inconsolable. She's 83 and thought she had a chance. Yeah, it's unlikely, though, isn't it, really? Let's put it that way. I mean, he's, he's married. He's been married for four years to his boyfriend. Boyfriend! Boyfriend alert, I think, for Barry Manilow. I love the idea at 83. She thinks she's got a chance. That's quite see because at 83, you're, you're a little bit befuddled, I should imagine, if you're from Yorkshire, staying with you and is inconsolable. That kind of sums it up, doesn't it, really? <laughs> I don't think anybody who ever went to a Barry Manilow concert ever thought he was heterosexual. Why would you worry? You don't go to a show and try and work out. I mean, I do it when I go and see sort of, you know, show shows. I go, I wonder which one. Or you get new boy bands and you go, I wonder which one is, you know. I was quite surprised with One One Direction. They all turn out to be heterosexual. Well, at the moment, I mean, who knows in the future what could happen. Uh, Pat says, I went to a first night party after a production of Hello, Dolly! at Birmingham Rep starring Danny LaRue. He swept in a vision in black leather, followed by what I can only describe as an entourage. Very grand. Yeah, the show was dire, though, wasn't it? They actually put him on, I think, a royal variety, and it just... It just didn't kind of work. I could understand it, because Danny wore those sort of clothes. But, um... The show just didn't work. He'd been to see, I think, the London transport players doing it at Wimbledon Theatre and thought he would do it. But uh, as Danny enjoyed a few sort of bevies, he became quite abusive at the Wimbledon Theatre. They had to ask him to leave. He was sort of, uh, amateurs. He loved that word. That was his favourite word, I think, amateurs. Bless his heart. You'll never see his like again. There is nobody like uh, Danny Rue. He was a huge, huge star. Ask anybody who, who went through, you know, that, that period of time. Big, big star, big star. Uh, Pearl set to make history. It's another gay story. Doctor Who's assistant's going to be gay, but uh, she's been axed already. So oh, that's just a bit bizarre, isn't it? Does it make a difference? Does it? I mean, are they doing it to be PC? Are they doing it just to kind of go? Uh, we're really up with the times. You know, I think seriously that the BBC need to have all their newsreaders wearing badges. In fact, I think all newsreaders should wear badges, gay or straight. That's what I would like to know. I'd like to go through Sky News. And see all of the Sky News presenters, which ones are gay and which ones are straight. OK, 
Okay. Anybody got any guesses on that one? You know, I'd like to go through the BBC and ITV and all the people in the morning. Gay or straight? Everybody should wear a badge now. This is what we've uh, this is what we've come to in this country. That everybody, admittedly, on Good Morning Britain, it would be a veritable sea of pink. I should imagine that's just the cameramen. But you know, everybody should wear a badge. What is your sexuality? Tell us about your sexuality. And people are going, we don't want to know. And they go, no, we want to tell you. Anyway, I want to know. I want to know whether or not the showbiz correspondent at Good Morning Britain is gay or straight. You know, is it necessary? If you're a, if you're a hairdresser, a woman's hairdresser, are you automatically gay? Or are some of you actually straight? You know, it's because we've become obsessed with it. I've never known anything like it. People are just so intrigued by other people's sexuality. Is it because people are bored with life? Is it because they've sort of thought, I wonder, I wonder what it, you know, they always say it's different on the other side of the fence. I wonder what it's like to go to the other side of the fence. In the case of Mel B, it's obviously quite a regular occurrence as 20 people are seeking legal advice because they're a little bit worried about the threesomes. I can't even bring myself to say it. Threesomes that they had. And they're worried they might have been filmed and they're worried that the films could be released onto the internet. Because I don't know if you'd have to sign a disclaimer. You know, normally when, when you're filmed, you sign that, that release form to say you can use my film. But if you're... <coughs> sorry, if you're being... <coughs> brought me all excited. If, you, uh, if you're sort of filmed while you're doing whatever it is you're doing, I wonder, has somebody got the right to put it up online? Or are people going to go, I don't want that up there, because Abby Titmus was filmed. We, uh, we saw her. Uh, we've, I mean, there have been so many celebrities. There's actually a website devoted to celebrities uh, who have been caught in flagrante. And uh, and you can see them doing all sorts of things, mainly men, mainly men, male celebrities from Towie, from Geordie Shaw, from just about it. And you think to yourself, is there something the matter with these people? Were they dropped on their head as a child or pushed off the back of the bus? I don't know. I, I never quite understand what it is that makes people have this overwhelming urge to take their clothes off. You know, if I walk through our newsroom wearing just my pants, there'd be complaints all over the place. Terrible. Foreign aid. Daily Mail. It's amazing how much we give. It's now soared by 1.2 billion. We now spend out every year 13 billion because farcical EC rules add prostitution and drug dealing to official economic figures. Also, the main story, which I'm, I'm as interested in, if not a little bit more so, is the, the reason that many women can't stop yo-yo dieting. We've seen it. They, uh, especially, especially uh, prevalent in the celebrity world. Celebrities go on these diets. Why? Because they want to make some money. And somebody says, coming up to Christmas, why don't you do it? The only person who's sort of genuine in doing it is Davina McCall because she's permanently fit. These other people, look at poor Colleen on the television. You know, she's sort of lost weight, turned up on every chat show under the sun talking about how the... And now she's piled it back on again. Piled it back on again. It's the occupational hazard. People think they can eat and it doesn't make any difference. And so people, people just keep eating all the wrong foods. I mean, I'm at the moment fairly addicted to hash browns in the morning from Burger King. I mean, because they're little, they're little bite-sized things. But they're, they're absolutely delicious. It is terrible. I should be eating things like that. I'm a diabetic, for goodness sake. You know, diabetic with a heart thing going on. Uh, also a picture of Tony Beak out there. Luckily, he was able to tip off the, uh, the press. They've got a picture on the front of the papers. Uh, he's not married, incidentally. Tony Beak's not married. They, who knows? They might get married. We don't know. And they've got his, his girlfriend here, Hannah Summers. And they've got twins. They've got a boy and a girl. So that's nice for anybody who sort of, you know, I quite fancy the idea. I've said before of, a, of having a large family. I would think 
you know, having sort of six or seven kids must be fantastic. I know you have to work for the rest of your life. And most people have two, don't they? Two is, you know, they go, we'd like one of each. And then some people try again if they've only had girls or only had boys. And then eventually you get like the poor old Beckhams and poor old Harper. She's all by herself. I mean, she's the only one without a tattoo. I feel a bit sorry for the girl. I thought she should take them to court immediately. I never bet on the Nationals. It's a race where bookmakers bookmakers make a bad bet. Usually a national newspaper was a free fun bet. Oh, they've got me here today. Free £2 bet. In fact, with the Daily Star, free £10 bet. So it's all to encourage you to, to spend money. They offer you a, a £10 bet and, um, and they give... Um, and they give sort of people these ideas. And so people think people think it's a way of getting out of, of a debt situation. But my advice has always been the same. Only ever gamble if you can afford to lose. If you can't afford to lose and you're struggling with it, don't gamble. Don't gamble. Uh, 84850. Uh, Neil says, lovely to hear your brother caught a whopper. £48.5. He's got a picture of it, uh, of it in his arms and all the rest. He was very excited. Very excited. It's the biggest I think he's actually caught. To me, as, as you know, Neil, leaves me cold. He says, the offer still stands to take you. Lorraine and I went down to old Las Vegas in uh, Fremont Street uh, over there in America. I embarrassed myself in the Golden Nugget. Uh, he says, playing the part of a big gambler, I peeled off a $100 bill asking for change to play a machine from one of those scantily clad floor walkers. The reply, I'm sorry, sir, those machines are $100 a pull. He said, exit, red-faced Londoner. I played roulette with, uh, with Gary Bushell in the Luxor Hotel. <laughs> yeah, they do have hundred dollars um, hundred dollar thingies. Steve, you should announce your sexuality every time you come back from an ad break, says Alex. And well, to be honest with you, I think everybody should, I think we should be wearing badges. There should, there should definitely be different coloured badges, but of course, nowadays you've got to have quite a number of badges to cater for straight Gay. I mean, I don't know why I put straight first. I'm sorry. Perhaps I should have put gay first, gay or trans first, or or people who aren't sure. Bisexuals. I don't know. Lesbians. You know. I mean, I should put everything on. I don't know. I don't know. And all different badges. So you have to sit there trying to work out what somebody is from the current. Somebody's got a green badge on. What does that mean? Been sick. I don't know. You know. It's what. What is it? So you've got you know pink badges, and then there'd be people on the television with two coloured badges. Because, you know, the amount of people who are crawling out of um, out of cupboards at the moment, they call them closets, the amount of people who are coming out of them is frankly driving me mad. As I say, I mean, years ago, it was people never spoke about it. But uh, <laughs> nowadays, you can't shut them up. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Welcome to Thursday. You're going to be in for some nice weather for this weekend. And hopefully for Easter, it's going to be uh, really nice. Helinka says, please carry on telling us about what you think about the programme about the man with three wives and many, many children. He's also to marry two more. I had to switch off. Made me feel quite ill. Um, it's called polygamy, isn't it? I think where you get somebody who marries. It's obviously in a part of America where you can marry more than one wife. I felt sorry because one of them, you could quite clearly see she was... It's it's your sort of sharing your life with one person who's got all these children. I forget how many children he's got. It could be nine. It could be nine. Whatever it is, it's a lot of children uh, with these three different women and other ones. And they sort of come into the relationship and you think it just seems fairly odd to us, doesn't it, really? Very, very odd indeed. I don't quite get it. I don't, can't understand why one woman would want to share her husband with somebody else. We don't have it in this country, but I'm, I'm led to believe you will find men who live with more than one woman. Well, it's called having an affair, isn't it? I do beg your pardon. But, uh, no, I find the programme... I just find... He's got 17 children. Oh, I do beg your pardon. 17 children. 
I'm, just, I'm not disturbed by the programme. I just feel a bit sorry for, for all of the women. One of them just had uh, another baby, so I think we must be about 18 or 19 by now. And what he systematically does is tries to get these women pregnant as quickly as possible. They all seem to live in one house, and, and they, he's, he's, he's quite God-fearing, but that always worries me as well at the same time, because it's obviously God's word that he seems to be abiding by. The kids seem very well brought up. How they're going to behave later in life, I've got no idea. But uh, you could see that one of the women on the programme I was watching the other night was sort of, she was getting to that stage where she's thinking, I don't want to be here. I don't like this anymore. This is not not really what I bought into. And then she sort of laughed and, well, you know, so we all have to sort of sort of pull together because he obviously determines who he sleeps with. Uh, they don't all sleep in the same bed and you have to wait for your turn, I suppose, which seems a bit peculiar. What an odd way to have an existence, isn't it? Very odd. So I, I understand exactly what, where you're coming from. I thought it was fairly odd as well. It's the fact that they've allowed a documentary to be made. Another one of these... If, they make, if you allow a documentary to be made, it's a way of systematically showing off. You know, the house seems quite clean. They've got loads of kids. They're all, you know, nicely dressed. There's nothing mad with that, but he's got so many of them. And you worry about later in life, you know, because we don't know the effects on children until later in life, and then they start wandering off the rails. And... Uh, and uh, therein, it's desperately unhappy. They might rebel against it. They might not like their father um, because he is father to all of them. Perhaps he's just, I mean, he's obviously got a job that pays for them, so there you go. He was saying to one of the other women, he phoned her from the hospital after the other one had given birth and said, oh, will you be coming down to see the baby? And she said through a half-sleepy, oh, she said, I've got to go to work. And he went, OK. He obviously sort of orders them about a little bit. It, it was just slightly uncomfortable viewing, let's put it that way. Uh, older folk need the same amount of sleep as the young. Don't you just? Don't we just? It's just that their ageing brains don't let them. There is a gene that keeps you awake at night. And uh, so they say this one's to blame. So US researchers found that when the uh, FABP7 gene mutates, it causes people to sleep uh, fitfully and wake up during the night. Uh, they 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 tried it with mice. These poor mice. Wake up! Come on! Wake up! Wake up! And um, a study of three hundred Japanese men found twenty nine with a variant of the gene also had worse sleep and woke more often. Does it make any difference how many hours sleep? They used to say Margaret Thatcher survived on four hours sleep a night. I could probably survive on four hours sleep a night. It just means that I'd be a bit more tired during the daytime. In fact, last night because I was listening to Ian Collins, for, I, I caught the last. Must have been about the last half an hour where he was talking about Steve Allen might be mentioning uh, Barry Manilow, putting his own spin on it. Uh, you wait till you hear the podcast for today. There'll be quite a few spins on Barry Manilow and uh, just about anybody else. Um, and, um, and I was sort of thinking, I'm awake earlier. And then Paul Smith, who claims that he's having uh, hash browns in McDonald's in Twickenham. Bit of, a, bit of an achievement, that, seeing as we don't have a McDonald's in Twickenham. So I don't know whether they've built one overnight for him. We shall wait and find out a bit later on. I'm pleased to announce the canteen is still open, incidentally. They have tables that fold down. Nobody tells me anything, but uh, we've done that. The other story, which uh, I think was, was very interesting, it is because we are a nation of givers. We are a nation of charity supporters. And we've had people who've been pushed to the limit um, for being hounded by the charity fundraisers. It's bad enough having chuggers on the streets. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, wait a minute, I'm just having a quick, sorry, a quick look at this one. Uh, oh, it's next to Homebase. That's Hampton. That's Hampton. OK, 
not Twickenham, honestly, it's hopeless. <laughs> and, um, and, and we've had people who get phoned by people because they're cold calling to make them give money. They're people who might have given money to a charity before. I've often said, don't ever give your phone number to a chugger on the street because you're going to be plagued to the end of the earth with people phoning you up because once they've discovered you've given money, they will keep on at you. And um, I'm going to tell you the story of the other side of the news because watchdogs have fined... Some of the country's most trusted charities. These are big charities. You will know 99.9% of them because they were prying into the finances of millions of donors. They were paying investigators for information on their supporters, sometimes the value of their homes and their friendship circles. I mean, basically, I've said to you before, charities are businesses. All of these charities that I'm going to tell you about and how much they were fined, I'm going to tell you about because they're all businesses. So yesterday, 11 were fined a total of 140,000 quid, give or take, um, for basically doing something that they shouldn't have done. Shaming. They're doing cold call sharking. What they're doing is they, they've actually found some nice person who's maybe given £100 to a particular charity. And, uh, and then what they do is they, they then discover that they haven't uh, donated for a little while. So they phone them up. Because most people keep the same number for, for a long, long time, don't they? And they phone them up and ask them, you know, would you like to help us with this one? It's animals dying and, you know, marmosets or something in the wild or gay, gay whales or something. It doesn't matter what it is. It's something so they can part you from your money. And that's why I say, do not ever give money to chuggers in the street. At one time, they were asking for people's credit card details. Why would you give that to a stranger in the street? Don't. You want to give to a, to a charity, go direct to their site. Give If you want to do that... Do it that way. These people who are chugging you in the streets, who jump in front of you. Hello, you got five minutes? Pfft. No, I haven't. I don't want to give you any money, thank you much. They're being paid about £10 an hour. You know, I mean, that money should go to the charity. If you want to give to a charity, you give to a charity directly. Don't give it to chuggers, please. But anyway, the charities I'm going to tell you about have all been fined for snooping. And what they've done is they've basically targeted people who've, uh, who've given before and they want you back in a, again. Because that's how they survive. And uh, it's businesses. It's big business. These, these charities are worth a lot of money. Many, many hundreds of millions of pounds out there. You think it's just the National Trust and a few chocolate eggs, don't you? God, they're worth serious money. Serious money. And some of these ones here, you're going to be going, really? What, they've done this and they've been fined? Yep, they've been fined for snooping. So I'll tell you who they are just after the news, which is coming up very shortly. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. The foreign aid story runs in a lot of the papers this morning. The reason it does is because it's gone up by 1.2 billion. We're being held by the short and curlies, aren't we? By, uh, by the EU. Give this money to countries who are just as rich, if not richer, than we are. It's ridiculous. Uh, coming up, news at six o'clock. David Beckham confesses he likes the old posh. I thought she'd been young posh then, but he wants her to go back to wearing the outfits. I suppose because some of the outfits she's wearing at the moment are just so ludicrous. Uh, Harry Styles continues to flog his new album at every opportunity. He's also snubbed his bandmates. He does an interview with his best mate, doesn't mention One Direction, because I thought they never liked each other. Tina says, what does chugger mean? I've got no idea, because they... Charity mugger. Charity mugger. is Cockney rhyming slang. What? Charity mugger? Chugger. I didn't know that either. I just had to be told that. Uh, Barry Manilow has confirmed that he's uh, straight. No, he's gay. I'm sorry. sorry. Only joking. Only joking. Big surprise. World in shock. Agony of the mob victim. Putting a freeze on cold calls. And music streaming. Killing the long and winding road. You're listening to a podcast from LBC.
Morning, Thursday, 6th of April. I'm Steve Allen. This is my early breakfast on LBC. Until 7 when Nick Ferrari comes along. Give you a rundown in half an hour on what uh, Nick's up to today. Uh, the papers are full of, uh, of Mr Corbyn having a bit of a meltdown and not getting on with journalists, which is always very unwise when you rely on these people to publicise things that you're about to do. He just became a little bit grouchy. I don't know, it might be sort of one of those things. Perhaps he gets grouchy every so often. Uh, also, the male victory is the charities are fine for snooping. And we've done this uh, story on LBC before. The revelations of these, um, of these companies who are doing cold calling um, really spreads far and wide. And these fines are a step forward, they've said. And I'll tell you who the companies are in a moment. But uh, it, it all follows the death of a, of a poppy seller called Olive Cook, who killed herself. She became overwhelmed with the amount of charity begging letters that she got. Because once you're on a list and they go, right, this this woman's got her own house, she's got this much money, she generally donates to animal charities, then they get targeted. And uh, after her death, they went round to the house. She had hundreds of these things, hundreds of them. I personally don't get anything at all. I don't talk to chuggers. I don't give my telephone out to people. I certainly wouldn't be giving a credit card out to people. And what these people did, these charities, were secretly trading donors' private information. One former army colonel, Samuel Ray, who is 87 and has dementia, lost £35,000 to criminals after his details were passed on up to 200 times by charities. Uh, One charity obtained his information in 2005 when he took out pet insurance. Two years later, it began sending his data to a firm specialising in legacy prediction. His details were passed on at least four times to establish a score estimating his wealth. Last night, his son, Chris, said, the ICO fines are a step forward, but there's more that can be done to protect people. Um, It's amazing who the the companies are. These are all well-known charities who've all indulged in this, and I'll tell you how much they got fined as well. Because it's it's just disgraceful that they would operate in such a way. The RSPCA wealth screened all seven million of its supporters, found phone numbers without consent and shared data with other charities. They were fined £25,000. It's not enough. Not enough. Cancer Support UK shared three million donor records with third parties, fined 16000 The British Heart Foundation. I said they're, they're all big names. They're not little-known charities. They passed on millions of donor records to wealth screening firms. So in other words, um, I don't know how it works personally, but I'm assuming somebody will take your name and they'll put it through. They'll see if you've had a loan. You can find out information on just about anybody. That's why I I don't get any of these sort of things, because I don't have any outstanding loans or anything like that. They got fined £18,000. Oxfam, they gained personal contact details about donors without permission. They got fined £6,000. Cancer Research screened three and a half million donors for financial data and got hold of 678,000 phone numbers. So they can sit there and say, hello, I'm calling you from Cancer Research UK, blah, 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 blah. We're just wondering, we're we're sort of looking after so-and-so, so-and-so, and is there any chance that we could have a donation from you? And uh, they got fined £16,000. NSPCC, £12,000 fine. Uh, International Fund for Animal Welfare shared 4.9 million donor records with other charities, ranked the donors according to wealth and got hold of contact information without permission, fined 18,000. The Royal British Legion. What? They checked 5.4 million records for financial information and found 900,000 phone numbers without permission. 
Good Lord, fine, 12,000. Great Ormond Street charity. I mean, the list, it's seriously, that these are big, big companies here. They screen donors for wealth. 795,000 times a month for six years. They got fined 11,000. Battersea Dog and Cat Home. They searched 740,000 times for private contact information. They were fined 9,000, reduced to 7,000 by paying early. So they're giving a discount as well. Guide Dogs for the Blind. Wealth screened 1.7 million supporters. I'm assuming that wealth screening means that every time you use a credit card, somebody's got your information. I was saying to somebody a while ago, they said, but how do they know in the supermarkets? I said, because you give them a credit card. You touch your credit card, your contactless thing. They've got your, your details on their files. They've got your credit card number. They've got when it expires and they've got how much you spend. So it'd be very easy to make up a list, wouldn't it? A database of people who shop in, say, you know, blah de blah supermarket. And you, can, and you can be found. And they go, this person here um, is spending on average £160 a week. Look, look what they like. they like. They like a bit of booze. Let's target them. So they can target you with special offers on booze to get you back in again. Um, Macmillan Cancer. They got fined 14000 WWF UK. Uh, fine nine grand, but it was reduced to 7,200 because you paid early. I mean, it's just disgraceful. It really is. They shouldn't be doing this at all. You know, the, uh, just when you think somebody's, I mean, I don't answer the phone. I don't answer the phone. I don't even answer the phone if my mobile rings and I don't recognise the number. And I've had uh, a couple of cold calls. I don't answer it. It's as simple as that. If it's somebody important, they'll leave a message. But of course, if they're cold calling, they don't leave messages. I've lost track of the amount of time. Friends of mine, have I've been there and they've had cold calling from people wanting you to change your electricity supplier, change your water, change your gas, change everything. And you sort of, you have to say, to, where do you get this number from? But what they're doing, they're calling from outside of the country. So they're not under the telephone or, <coughs> excuse me, or mailing preference service. So you can have yourself taken off, but it doesn't happen immediately. You have to wait a little bit. But uh, for these fines to go out, I mean, sending the right message. But I'd love to know how much these uh, things have generated. Probably millions of pounds. Find 140,000. It's like sort of a little slap there, isn't it? It doesn't really mean too much to them because they just carry on operating around uh, around my way. Uh, we are the uh, we are the charity shop capital, I think, of West London. We've got every charity shop under the sun. People wander in and out. They've got collectibles there. They do everything. But their charity, all their stuff is donated unless it's brought in, in which case it's uh, a little bit of a swizz. I think. Uh, Theresa May, Corbyn betrayed the Jews by letting Ken off the hook. That was a, that was a debate and a half yesterday, wasn't it, on LBC? Goodness me. And uh, Joe Haynes says, walking proof, Ken Livingstone, you can't keep a bad man down. He just lurches from one disaster to another. But he doesn't believe that he's done anything wrong. That's the, that's the arrogance. But uh, he can't be kicked out. He's, there's an interview running, I think, at the moment where um, Ken Livingstone says he can't be kicked out of the Labour Party. Mind you, begin to, I suppose you have to ask the question, how long does the Labour Party survive? They were, I saw Tony Blair being interviewed on a television programme the other day and uh, somebody said, oh, it sounds like you're setting up your own party. Because I think he'd love to get back into uh, to politics. Uh, also in the paper today, the nanny is prettier than you, husband told Mel B. Star claims he set up 20-year-old as a rival and paid her thousands. It's, it's not going to end happily. Now, this is this is going to be lots of mess and stuff coming out in uh, in court about Mel B claiming her estranged husband degraded her by treating the child's glamorous German nanny like his wife. And um, Melanie Brown has taken out a restraining order against Stephen Belafonte, accusing him of beating her, forcing her to have threesomes and getting the nanny, Lorraine 
Gillies pregnant. Miss Brown says Belafonte set Miss Gillies up as her rival and would degrade her in front of the nanny who was 20 when she was hired, uh, saying she was much younger and better looking. I mean, it sounds a ghastly scenario, ghastly scenario. But now uh, Victoria Hervey is terrified that um, Mel B's estranged husband may have filmed her having a threesome with the couple. Well, she sold the story about it the other week to the paper, so I think it's highly likely that he probably did film it. The 20 other couples have been to seek legal advice. So uh, this has all been going on. She doesn't know if, uh, if a sex tape actually exists. They say here... Uh, she's a friend of the royal family. Which which members of the royal family is she a friend of? Is this just made up now to try and make her somewhat interesting? She was an it girl. No, she was a twit girl years ago. That's what they called her in the press, a twit girl. She doesn't know if the tape exists. Even if there is no tape, she fears the threesome could be used as evidence in the divorce. I would think it would be highly likely, which I'm assuming will be held in America. But it's it's just there's no happy conclusion to this one, is there? There's going to be mudslinging. It's going to go backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And at the end of the day, somebody's going to emerge with with a lot of egg on their face. And it's going to be very, very depressing. Very depressing. I don't want to read it, but I know that the papers will be absolutely grabbing at it with both hands because that's the kind of thing they like. They love it when somebody's marriage goes wrong, when somebody, you know, can put forward the fact they've been in an abusive relationship for over 10 years. In fact, almost since they've been married in an abusive relationship. And so that's what they, they don't know. They just know that there's a restraining order, so he can't go anywhere near her because she fears. And she said in one of the papers today, she's uh, in fact, it's on everything, every front page. Well, apart from the other ones, she says, I won't live in fear. So she gets the restraining order. But uh, I don't I don't know. He said he wants to put his side of the story. And I'm sure there is a his side of the story. What it is, I've got no idea. Uh, the list of charity fines makes me inclined to cancel direct debits to some charities, says Sarah in Surrey. You see, I don't, um, I don't know how how people are going to react. I mean, these are all big names in the charity world. They're they're companies that we, I thought we were supposed to trust them. I mean, I I trust every single one of those charities because I've grown up with the Royal British Legion, the Battersea Dog and Cat Home and uh, the British Heart Fair, all these companies I've grown up with. I just assumed that they were the, 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 the top of, of their game. They knew how to, to do it. You know, the fact they've been using underhand operations and trying to fi- find out what people are worth and then targeting them, I find absolutely abhorrent. That, uh, they've been fined, but is it enough to stop them doing it? Probably not. But that's why, as I said, on the streets, you get the chuggers. What do we say it stood for, chuggers? Charity muggers. Because what they're doing, they're, they're paid buy a charity to go out on the street. They give them their fluorescent jacket. They'll have a team leader who turns up first with a bin liner with all the jackets in. Then the rest of them all assemble. They give them the jackets. They've learnt the script. And then off they go, hello. And they're paid about £10 an hour. So uh, don't think they're doing it for free. They're doing it because it pays good money. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. I've been giving monthly to one of the charities on your list for 10 years, says Anne. When I started, I told them that if I were to be contacted by any other charities, my donations would stop at once. I've never been bothered. Yes, well, unfortunately, I think in a lot of cases, people don't know that they've been bothered. Because what they're doing is they're doing it through other companies to find out uh, how much you're worth. (laughs) That's why they don't bother with me, I should imagine. But I can imagine... So, in other words, what they do is, once once they put you through their system, there are companies that can tell you what somebody's worth because they, they check your name online. And what they do is they sell your your data to to just marketing firms. 
you know, if, if, if you're looking for somebody who's sort of into, say, pussycats, for example, let's just highlight pussycats. And and they just so they say, well, listen, I've actually got uh, Mr. Allen here. He he likes pussycats. He likes giving money to pussycat charities. So you go to the pussycat charity line, you know, somebody who likes giving to sort of, you know, babies in Somalia or whatever. You go into another line. And before you know where you are, you're being targeted by these charities. It's because you've either borrowed money or you've given to a charity, or you've made it clear which charities you support, you can find anything out on the internet. I reckon within a short space of time, you could probably find out the the producer's bank balance. I don't think it'd be a very big bank balance, but I'm sure we could probably find out, you know, exactly how much you... Because you'd find out through a loan or a credit card or something like that. There's detail on everybody. Detail on everybody now. They always go, you know, would you like a, a this credit card or that credit card, or would you like one of these store cards? No, thank you. No, thank you. I don't. Uh, I'm not interested in things like that. But uh, people can find out very quickly. Even more importantly, excuse me, I might sneeze any second now. Here we go. <coughs> thank you. <coughs> and two. So cold this morning. <laughs> Sorry, we were just saying a minute ago. My hands, are fr- they're like frozen. I've got no colour in my fingers at all this morning. It's only because it's supposed to be healthy to keep the temperature down. I mean, seriously, I'm going to have to lag myself before uh, before very long. Richard says, even more importantly, Steve, I think charities should be forced to disclose what per- percentage of revenue is devoted to the sharp end. Moneylenders have to show an APR. Charity uh, should be treated the same. They, they'll always say, won't they, a 95% of it goes to the actual charity. But they're hugely rich. They're hugely rich. Some of these charities, they've got more money than you could shake a stick at because they're businesses. They're run like businesses. The charity shops are run like businesses. I told you, I went to one and she had some uh, blue glass or red glass, whatever it was, and, I, and it was marked at £25. I said, would you take 20 uh, Thinking, it's a charity shop. no. She said, and that was it. There was no conversation. No, I'm not going to. Seriously, they run like businesses. I wonder how many honest people work in charity shops. Uh, Chuggers are apparently only allowed to walk three steps with you by law. So if they walk any more, you just remind them, says uh, John in Kent. Well, around our way, and you probably get... Well, I see them in London. You can always spot them because they're wearing a fluorescent jacket. And it, it is exactly as I said. The leader will turn up, who probably gets paid... £13 an hour or something, and uh, they all have their little briefing. OK, right, make some money. And you might see the same people wearing different jackets because they're just ordinary people. You know, it's 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 just they leap out in front of you. They all, I've seen them walking down the road with people, women with prams, you know, who are too polite to say to them, why don't you do one? They don't do that. So I don't think that's going to work. What do you have to do? So so you say to them, uh, you're, you're breaking the law by walking three steps. What are you going to do then? Okay, you can either turn around and shout at them and go, go away in a very loud voice. So you publicly humiliate them or failing that you pick up your phone and you call the police and say, this man's harassing me or this woman's harassing me. And they're always young. Have you noticed that? They don't seem to pick older people. They're only going for young people. Ten pound an hour. It's not bad, is it? Uh, It's terrible, isn't it, Steve? Have you seen the Investigatory Bill Act? There are private companies who can have access to our private data. Oh, I should imagine you could find out something about everybody, even me. Even me, but I've never been targeted because I don't answer the phone. I don't, if I don't know the number, I don't answer it. It's as simple as that. The most addictive machines in Vegas are the ones that have an accumulation jackpot, which can reach hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, there's, one, there's a few of them with million dollars, million dollar jackpots. It's the million dollar machine. 
And uh, I once spent hours and a lot of money chasing a £200,000 jackpot, only to step away for a bit and see somebody else win 201000 It's the worst feeling ever, Steve, says Ron. I can well imagine. Well imagine. Uh, it's, I, I know a club in London, which I haven't been to for a while, actually, but I'm an honorary member of the CAA, and in their breaks from their shows downstairs, they would go upstairs and people would line up in front of their fruit machine, which I think had a jackpot of £250, and each person would put a pound in. You put the pound in, you see if you, if you win, and then you move away, and somebody might might win it. Or somebody might. I remember going into a pub with a friend of mine, Jimmy, years ago, and we used to go into pubs and play the fruit machines. We went into this particular pub in, uh, in Acton, just down the road from us, and... Um, and we put, I think, about a fiver in the machine. We would sort of put a fiver in each. That made it sort of £10. And we won £250, which came out in pound coins. Well, the looks that we got from the people in this place, it was like they didn't know us because they didn't like the idea that somebody had come in from outside and played this machine. We got £250. So I remember us staggering over to the bar saying, can we change this up, please? And the barman begrudgingly changed it up for us. But uh, that was it. So if you're going to gamble, gamble responsibly. Don't gamble if you can't afford to uh, to lose the money. Work on the assumption you're going to lose. And as my bank once said to me once, I'll tell you what, Steve, you know, you do the lottery. You've not actually won anything major over the years. Every month, give us 50 quid and we'll give you 20 back again. OK, there you go. And that's, uh, that means you'll be quids in. Quids in. The abuse cricketer is back in court. Do you remember this story? This is um, the cricketer, Mustafa Bashir who was uh, spared jail for domestic violence, has been hauled back to court after it emerged he may have lied by claiming to have been offered a place in the country's team squad. He faces a sentence review tomorrow. He, was, he said that he, he couldn't go to prison, I think, because he was going to be signed up by a cricket club. And the cricket club then said, we don't even know who he is. It sort of became a little bit bizarre, actually. So, uh, so that'll be, uh, that'll be worth, uh, worth watching. All the people yesterday who turned up in, uh, in Westminster... And this was a service of hope and unity, uh, the people who were affected by the uh, the Westminster attack. And there was all sorts. Melissa Cochrane was there, whose husband Kurt was killed and who was badly injured herself, hugged a paramedic who treated her. It was all a bit emotional for everybody. Uh, some of them said it was the best service that they'd ever been to. Uh, Mrs Cochrane said she felt crushed by her husband's death, which she only learnt of from her parents whilst in hospital, but said there's no hate. There's no hate. And I think that's, that's kind of a big deal as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the little rich girl getting richer by showing off her sickeningly enviable lifestyle. It's a rather dreary article on uh, Millie McIntosh, who's the girl of the, uh, of the moment, apparently. Life's a beach. She's pals with Meghan. Uh, this is uh, Prince Harry's girlfriend. I mean, does anybody really care? Is this really going to affect somebody's life or is this just another attention-seeking twit girl? And uh, she's also the princess of plugs. She'll plug anything. She's apparently got a, a hunky boyfriend, Hugo Taylor. He's another one of these peculiar-looking ones from the Chelsea programme who sort of drifted between different people, which I always find quite entertaining. And um, Barry Manilow in all of the papers. Picture of Barry with his boyfriend, who's called Gary. Gary looks better than Barry. Uh, Barry's had lots of, I'm assuming, surgery. I mean, I don't, I don't know. They're, they're addicted to this in America. There's people over here addicted to surgery. But in Barry Manilow's case, it didn't make him look any better. I mean, he's only... He's 73. I don't know what you're supposed to... I mean, it's very rare, isn't it, when people look really good. I mean, I've seen a lot of ladies recently. Millicent Martin is 83. Joan Collins looked fantastic. Barbara Windsor looks fantastic. These people look great. I don't think Barbara's ever been under the knife in her life. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Damien Lewis, romancing a goat. It's bad. 
This is The Goat or Who is Sylvia by Edward Albee. I never I interviewed Edward Albee some years ago and I didn't understand a word of the conversation we had. He did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, you remember, some uh, some years ago. LBC News Time will have the front pages coming up in a moment. Bet your bottom dollar, it's a Spice Girl. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. 26 minutes to 7. And uh, I should do that one in a minute, reminding people about uh, James O'Brien's programme. Nick Ferrari at 7 o'clock this morning, a top EU negotiator has said a new generation of Brits will lead Britain back into the European family once again. Do you agree? Nick will be speaking to the Shadow Education Secretary, Angela Rayner, who says Labour would offer free school meals for all primary school children. They were talking about this before, actually, the free meals for everybody. And and I remember thinking back, because when I went to school, (laughs) just about remember, um, we did have people in the school who got free school meals. And they sat them on a different table to the rest of us. But we never, ever thought, oh, they're free school meals. We just thought they were sort of like the leaving class. There was a leavers class in our school, a couple of them, for people who were leaving, as we called them, stupid yet savable. And so when people used to get the free school meals, but I don't think we'd ever picked up. There were, there were certain kids whose parents did them a packed lunch. So now they're thinking free school meals for all primary school children. What, I mean, what's the point of that? I don't quite understand what, what, that, would, what, what that would solve. And then there was somebody else. Was it Corbyn who said they're going to put VAT on for kids in private school to, to pay, pay for the extra school meals? And I thought, well, that's not... In fact, I heard a number of people talking uh, to Darren saying that wasn't a good idea at all. You know, they're ordinary people. Sent, I think people automatically assume that if you've been to private school or you're being sent to private school, your parents are rich. Oh, no, 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 no. I went to a, to a prep school, you know, as a little boy, but only because if you're in the REF, you got it a lot cheaper. In fact, actually, I think the REF paid for it. So that was, it just meant you had to go a long way away for it. Uh, plus, Nick will be discussing the Pepsi advert featuring Kendall Jenner at a demonstration which has been scrapped after it caused an outcry on social media. It's amazing how quickly on social media people build up. I've never even seen this advert. Never even, I know who Kendall Jenner is. I think she's a member of the Kardashian family. And that's all I know. But, I mean, the fact she's done an advert. I mean, really, pfft, loads of people do adverts. Uh, all with Nick Ferrari at breakfast this morning from 7 here on... LBC. Uh, Steve, it's History Hour on uh, the James O'Brien show because it's the first Thursday of the month, but this only occurs after the two hour advancement in Scottish summertime. I know somebody was saying to me, What's he going to be doing? I think it's the Huguenots. I think it's the Huguenots. I'm not too sure. I just, he, he said to me something about weaving. And I said, oh, that'll be the Huguenots who sort of came over. So that'll be with uh, James O'Brien today, the History Hour. It's lovely. I love all these different things. I'm looking forward to colouring our. They're also, he's doing that. Oh, right. He's also doing the Spanish Armada. I thought I'd point that out. He likes to be topical. So it ties in with sort of Spanish Armada, Gibraltar. You know, there you go. Nothing if not controversial. Uh, Steve, twice I've been told that my address and details have been used to try and buy up new grade mobile phones, says Tony at Westgate. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never had anything like that. The nearest I got was somebody cloned my number plate from my car and stuck it on something else because the police turned up on the doorstep and asked me if I drove a Renault Clio or something like that. I said, do I look like I drive a Renault Clio? You know, obviously thinking maybe I did look like somebody. Somebody just said to me a short while ago, they said, I was talking about parking in London for going to the theatre on Saturday. And they said, well, there's a, there's a car park just up the road from where you want to go. And I said, I can't get my car in car parks. There's too much of a risk of it being scratched. They said, well, why don't you just buy a little smart car? I looked at them with pity. I said, do I look like the sort of person who's going to be driving a little smart car? I'm sure they're lovely. 
I don't want to be seen driving one. Unless it's actually completely top to toe in the Union flag. I'd go for that one if they sort of did it with a transfer on it. I quite like that. I remember Butterflies, the programme, Rhea, the character, uh, used to drive a Mini with a Union uh, flag on the uh, on the roof. I quite fancy that. I quite fancy that. Um, it's madness. It's madness. Say the uh, mail today. We'll come around to the front pages in a moment. For the NHS to spend millions fighting type 2 diabetes when the simple cure is getting off your backside. So they've got a picture of lots of people. Uh, they say because Britain is facing this epidemic. It's all the fast food places. If they didn't have the fast food places and you could only buy fruit and veg in season, we would all be healthy. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated. It's the fast food. And we love the fast food because it's got salt in it. So people consume bucketfuls of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Not just like me, once every three, four months. These people do it on a regular basis. They'd be doing it three or four times a week. Pizzas. People seem to think, if it's sort of flat and it's got the word Italian over it, that must mean that it's slimming. But as somebody said to me the other day, excuse me, pineapple on a pizza? Where's that come from? Hawaii. I don't think so. I don't think so. That's It's done to sort of crave your indulgence. It's like Chinese takeaway, Indian takeaway. You don't think the people from the, these countries eat that food, do you? You don't think the Chinese finish work in the restaurant and go, oh, I think I'll have sweet and sour chicken tonight. Of course they don't. They're eating healthy food. That's why they're all slim. And we're ginormous. Because it's, it's the bad food that's out there. So uh, Dr Michael Mosley has done a piece here where he's uh, reversed his uh, diabetes by following his own advice, which is getting out there and... Um, and sort of doing it. I mean, I, I, I don't eat much fast food. I mean, I, mean, I really don't. Not, not as much as a lot of people probably think I do. You know, I've not had cake or biscuits for a while. I used to bring in cakes and biscuits all the time and get quite... I don't, I don't really bother with it now. It's not really, not really my sort of thing. Not because I've gone off it in any way, shape or form. It's just that I sort of think I don't want to get too big. You know, I don't have to go up another size in trousers. Thank you very much indeed. Fury at the return of Topshop's famine victim mannequins. They're saying that the... Mannequins in the window um, are too thin. So Zoe Mason's teenage daughter stumbled across a, a display in Topshop's window while she was out shopping. And um, they have been criticised before, actually. Uh, Mrs Mason, who's a massage therapist, told how her daughter, who, does she, who, does she, doesn't, who she doesn't want to identify, well, that'll be difficult, won't it? That'll be Zoe Mason's daughter. I should imagine anybody who knows Zoe Mason, it's her daughter. She doesn't want to identify her. Uh, encountered the mannequins during a shopping trip to Hereford with friends after school. She said she returned home and thrust her phone under my nose, showing the picture and says, look at that, Mum. We couldn't believe it as we walked past. Well, you know, that's the way it is. They were stylized. They probably made somewhere else, and then, you know, they just sort of put these sort of clothes on there. Uh, Topshop have declined to comment. Not at all surprised, actually. Not at all surprised. Uh, 20 to 7, the front pages of the papers. It's the story that we ran with yesterday. And because we don't know all the facts, it would be inappropriate to uh, to decide whether something is genuine or whether it's made up or whether it's a fantasy. I've no idea. All I know is it's a new bust-up shock for Mel B. The sex game with Cheryl that drove hubby mad. She pinched her bottom. It's not a sex game. She pinched... I mean, I'm quite well aware of the fact that as they were both working on the same programme, they can do things like that. They can put their arms around each other and kiss, as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't care less. I just don't like the way that this story is developing, and it's developing in a very sinister kind of way. Stephen Belafonte is said to have raged after seeing his wife grab her pal's bottom backstage. If it's your pal, is that okay? If it's your pal? I mean, if, if it's somebody you don't know, I mean, it would be inappropriate, would it not, to go up to a perfect stranger and goose them? That would be inappropriate. If it's somebody you know 
Are they going to turn around and go, right, you're in big trouble? Of course they're not. They know you. It's a friend of yours. And they're friends. So quite clearly it seemed to be, perhaps, you know, Cheryl did something about I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't care. Not, nothing to do with me. But anyway, he sort of raged over it. And so that has gone in the papers today. Uh, she didn't play nannies and daddies. Uh, her rage at Cheryl. They've got lots of pictures of them together holding hands. And uh, Stephen Belafonte apparently thought it was some sort of form of intimacy or something like that. It's just two people on a panel. They're voting for somebody. So they hold hands. Good heavens above, I hold hands with nobody around here. But, you know, it's just it's just what people do. But it's just getting out of hand. So she's now got this restraining order. Unfortunately, the amount of people that they've had threesomes with, we're now informed by the newspapers, who really can't seem to get enough of this one, is about 20 20 people have been to see lawyers separately, uh, worrying that they might have been filmed and these films might be put up on the internet, including uh, uh, Vicky Harvey, what's her face, who apparently is now friends with the royal family. How that works, I've got no idea. I mean, seriously, somebody who starts talking about threesomes they've had, you'd want to keep them well away from the royal family. She's a little bit worried that even if the film doesn't exist, that the royal family will distant... Well, you were the one who sold the story about it. We didn't know anything about it. Uh, also, the uh, Gibraltar mayor is an ex-Miss World. So there you go. Uh, and that's it, plus the 12-page entry pullout. It's like having two papers put together in the sun this morning because uh, people like entry, people will go there, people will bet. I've had a tip already from a friend of mine, which, uh, which I'm going to go for. But I'm going to go for each way. I don't know anything about gambling, even though LBC over the years has had some, some great charitable evenings at racetracks. I think we've done Sandown and we've done uh, Kempton and places like that. I mean, I don't understand what it is. People say, oh, you know, do you want to... I don't know. Some people are very good at it. They study form. There is a... Um, I mean, I used to get... I don't know if I've got it today, actually. I, I get the uh, the racing paper, Racing Times or whatever it is. I don't know why I got it for some reason. They used to say, oh, let's send in the Racing Times to Steve Allen. So I'd sit here looking at it thinking, why have I got it? Why have I got it? Uh, when my shirts need washing, Steve, I take them to Oxfam, they wash and iron them, then I buy them back for two quid. Honestly, the stuff people come up with. Uh, Steve, free school meals is to make sure every child eats a warm meal a day. Who wants to eat a warm meal a day? One of the kids went into school, you remember, the other week. And the good news was that their, their mother had packed a McDonald's, a cheeseburger and a packet of fries. It was stone cold. So who eats stone cold food? Dreadful. So is it? Why are we worrying about this now? This is the year twenty seventeen. So <coughs> sorry, I get so excited. Uh, so now we're making sure every child eats a warm meal every day in the year twenty seventeen. We left it a little bit late. Do you not think? Should we not have been doing this maybe thirty, forty years ago? No. Ridiculous, isn't it? Absolutely ridiculous that people start worrying about these things. I don't. I couldn't care less giving everybody a free meal. I mean, we used to dread free meals. They were horrible. You know, our school food was in, not exactly cordon bleu. Well, it was. It was cordon bleu. That's what it was. Nobody liked it. Tapioca and... But I can't remember any of the stuff we had. People said, can't you remember what you had? I said, no, I only remember the puddings. We used to have a rather bizarre sponge pudding with pink custard that came with a smearing of jam underneath it. I don't know why they thought that was healthy. Nowadays, apparently... You know, if you go and watch kids eating thing, what, what have we got today? Well, over here, we've got a vegetable lasagna... And uh, some very nice steamed vegetables. Over this side, we've got beef burgers, chips and beans. Um, I'll be having the chips and beans, please, with the beef burgers. Thank you very much indeed. Do you have cheeseburgers? Can we put some cheese on there? Thank you. You know, we have paid for it, you know. My parents paid into the system for years. And so it's, it's the way to make sure that you fill kids up. They don't want to be filled up. 
You see them all the time. I see kids in the morning going into Starbucks, little kids, and they've got they've got cards. Where they get? Perhaps they're not as young as I sort of maybe think they are. And um, and they and there's always the one thing. It always used to make me laugh. You always get the little fat child who buys the thing with the swirly cream on the top of the straw. And then you get the other two who hang around with the little fat child who are sort of hoping that maybe some of the cream will drip off onto the, onto the floor and they can, they can get it. Because they obviously can't afford to buy it, but the little, the little fat child can afford to buy the thing with the swirly cream on and crush nuts, which is always very popular around our way. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, every 11 minutes to uh, 7 with you for another uh, 11-ish minutes. Uh, front page of the Daily Mail... Apart from the intriguing reason why women can't stop yo-yo dieting, I think because I think people think that if you go on a diet, uh, that's it for the rest of your life. You, you go on a diet, you lose the weight, and that's fine. No, you're supposed to. The way it's been described to me is educate your stomach to accept less food. If you accept uh, that you can do that, that's a lifestyle. It isn't just till you've lost all the weight. You have to keep going. It's like people who run. The moment they actually stop running and jogging and doing all the kind of things they do, they start putting the weight on. And uh, so that's why yo-yo dieting. I think it's quite addictive. It's okay. If you can manage it, it's probably fine. Not for me, I'm afraid. We don't even get as far as the yo-yo, whether or not we get to the dieting bit. Foreign aid now, it soars by 1.2 billion. Do you realise that we're now... So it's over £13 billion a year that we hand out to people. We give cash handouts to countries who are perfectly capable of giving cash handouts themselves. I mean, in Pakistan, £420 million goes out, despite being dogged by claims of corruption, we're probably funding all sorts of things, and 235,000 families pocket payments worth about 35 quid every three months, uh, which either is in cash or cards loaded with money. I mean, there's one here. Ministers wasted £285 million of foreign aid on a white elephant airport in St Helena in the South Atlantic that commercial planes can't even use. That's how stupid it is. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous, the amount of money that's, uh, that's going overseas to countries that don't need it. They've already got money themselves. We're just sort of topping it up. Is anybody giving us money? And they've just upped it as well. It's up by 10%. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. It really is. That's the front page of the, uh, the Daily Mail, Daily Star. It's a free £10 bet at Aintree. It probably comes with a clause. I, should, I don't think you can just bet £10 and then, you know, you've, you've won and everything else. Uh, Princess in tribute, Princess Kate and Princes uh, William and Harry joined survivors of the London terror attack at a service for hope. Uh, also a picture of the, the teen asylum seeker, who is uh, Rekha Ahmed, almost killed in that brutal racist attack. We'll be watching that one. Melby's nanny laid bare, literally. And uh, this is the Melby story. It's not going to go away. This is not going to go away. Uh, we've got to wait to hear what... He says he's denied it. He says, I want my day in court, which presumably they're going to get. And, um, and then they'll start arguing backwards and forwards. And then I think we're going to be hearing things that we probably don't want to hear about. But the newspapers will lap it up because it'll be on live television, I should imagine, in America. Uh, she's on the front page of the Mirror saying um, she fights to get her violent husband out of her life. She claims that Stephen Belafonte filmed her in threesomes. And this is what's panicked people. So she's said it's happened. And uh, the people who are the people involved have said, I sincerely hope not. So they've got uh, all sorts of things. I don't know. It's it's just if you're in one of these relationships and you're well known, you get more coverage than anybody else who is in one of these relationships and doesn't get any coverage at all. I can remember when Erin Pitsy opened her home down in Chiswick for battered women because it was to keep them away from 
abusive husbands and boyfriends. And uh, she was swamped, absolutely swamped. 23 some partners are terrified their sex tapes will be released. And uh, as I say, if you want to read that, it's in all the papers, plus Barry Manilow. Why did I choose to come out at 73? Because he was worried. Like loads of other people, they worry that, you know, people discover... If Rock Hudson had come out during his lifetime, um, then, you know, it might have been disastrous for his film career. I mean, I can't... I can, uh, can I think of anybody who's big American? I mean, like, multi-million pound box office gold who's come out as gay. I can't think of anybody, <coughs> excuse me, off the top of my head, who is that person, because the studios would have to suppress it. They'd keep it fairly quiet. I'm sure there must be these people. There are rumours about certain people. Whether or not they're, they're true, I've got no idea. But that's, that's what people worried about. And with Rock Hudson, they married him off. He got married off. There was a big wedding, beaming pictures. He was a big box office star. And only, you know, years later, people are going, open secret, you know he's gay. And people are going, no kidding. So after he died of an AIDS-related illness, he was put on trial by his then-boyfriend, who put him on trial. I, I, I did the book on LBC. I, I reviewed the book and we talked to the author. It was called The Trial of Rock Hudson. After he died, he was put on trial. He appeared in court as a chair. They addressed it to the chair. He was knowingly having relations with this person, knowing that he was HIV positive. And he'd been backwards and forwards. He was filmed, I think he was in Dynasty, and people commented then, that's when it sort of came out into the, into the public, uh, domain, when he looked so gaunt and uh, ill and everything else. And then he kissed Linda Evans, I think, and people were saying, whoa, is that right? Is that OK? People were very naive and very ignorant about uh, HIV. And so that's what it was. So that's why, probably for Barry Manilow to come out, uh, his career might have collapsed. His fans might have deserted him. I think unlikely he sold something like 80 million records. Why would they desert him? They love the music. They love him. They'll accept him for anything. Of course they will. Why not? You'd have to be a very odd person to all of a sudden go, I'm a Barry Manilow fan. Uh, not, no, I'm not anymore because I've discovered he's gay. Well, if you never realised it before now, you're too stupid to be a fan of Barry Manilow's. House prices to soar by 25%. That'll just be in London, won't it? I was looking in France the other day. Well, not actually in France. I was looking on one of the websites. And it had all these places. Do you know, for €400,000, you can get a mansion in France. Oh, seriously, a mansion. You know, 10 bedrooms, 12 bedrooms. You know, and people go, wow, but you can't get anything in London. Yeah, you can get a small little flat, one-bedroom flat. In fact, there was a flat for sale the other day in the papers. And it had everything. One, one bedroom, little... No toilet. How can you sell a flat with no toilet? I mean, I've never... On the LBC website... That's right, the shower was in the kitchen. You ever heard of such a thing? And it was being rented at 8 50 a month or something. You go, well, where'd you go to toilet? In the shower, in the kitchen, I'm assuming. I can't think of any other place. Where else do you go? Uh, Farage telling the EU, front of the Express today, you're like the Mafia. Uh, we have seen house prices. Our house prices in Twickenham didn't go up for years and years. And then magically, Marks and Spencer's moved in. Bang. Up they went. Up until then, we had a Summerfield supermarket. Now that's a Waitrose. And it, I think it depends on what you've got, isn't it, really? If you've got a Waitrose and you've got a Marks and Spencer's and you've got a river running through it, sometimes down the main high street, uh, what, what we don't like is the beggars sleeping in the doorways and, uh, and filling the place up with, uh, with filth. Ten best Easter eggs for The Guardian. Uh, don't say clock on, do say log in. How Deliveroo stops couriers becoming staff, which is interesting. Uh, they must almost be referred to as independent suppliers. Here we go. Also, Trump's right-hand man loses national security role. Corbyn faces revolt 
over Livingstone, if he can get Mr Corbyn to say anything without having a, a bit of an argument with people. He's obviously just a very angry person at the moment. Doesn't like the way things are going. The Westminster terror victims remembered on the front of the FT. And uh, how streaming has saved the music industry. And the fox hunt. Will sex scandals at the TV channel hit Murdoch's bid for Sky? Sex scandals? Good Lord, you'll be buying the Financial Times this morning to find out more about it. May envisages free movement past 2019 as Brexit's stance softens. Uh, Britain's secret plan for detente with the Kremlin. This is the eye this morning. The UK approaches Moscow to improved frayed relations. Terrorism and trade after Brexit at the heart of the talks. Russia clashes with world powers over the Syria gassing as intelligence agencies chase nerve agent evidence. Uh, sex in the animal kingdom and 67 days in Trump kicks chief strategist off the National Security Council. Uh, f- nearly finally, the Telegraph this morning. Trump squares up to Assad. Father watches twins choke to death as poison took hold. And um, this is terrible picture on the front. You won't want to see this picture at all. It's of a son who's just getting ready to bury his uh, his children. You don't a father who's getting ready to bury. You don't want to see that. Really don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. Front page of the Times this morning. Uh, the monk accused of running a sex club, allowed to stay at Ampleforth. This is the uh, the country's leading Roman Catholic school. Uh, former pupils told that they were summoned in their pajamas to Father Jeremy Sealis's study, where they were given alcohol and said to have performed sex acts. I'll let you read that. It's the front page of the Times this morning. Uh, you can listen to LBC wherever you want, wherever you are. You can download the free LBC app for your mobile or tablet. Never miss a moment. It's lbc.co.uk. It's very simple. And uh, you have a free podcast every day from this programme and quite a number of other programmes as well. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Steve Allen Show. Some days very bizarre. Other days quite funny. Uh, leading Britain's conversation at 10, James O'Brien. Very funny. Uh, Before that, with breakfast, Nick Ferrari. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.